Hey, how's it going? Uh, pretty good, man. Pretty good. I was uh, in the wildest call-in room I think I've ever heard. Uh, really? Been in some were you? Wild ones. Yeah. Were you in the audience or were you in the speakers panel? Uh, no, I was in the audience, but I, I called in. Um, I, I just, I, you know, you know me being a glutton for punishment and everything. Do you know? Yeah. Um, uh, do you know Travis Pangborn? Uh, no, doesn't ring a bell. He's like one of the um, like intellectual dark web types. Uh, him and Sam Harris had a little beef a little while back, but uh, you know he he has like a you know the the, the sort of like um, off brand like new conservative thought on uh, culture and uh, identity politics and all that kind of shit. Anyway, so he was interviewing uh, a guy that uh, um, I mean to put it frankly, he's he was a he's a, a Nazi apologist for Hitler. And, uh, you know, the guy was explaining his, like his, his, his beliefs and how he came by them and whether, uh, Hitler was correct in the final solution and whether, uh, the U S and the UK and Russia should have gone to war with them. Um, and he, he raised one thing that kept on nagging at me. I'm like, why, why would you keep on citing doctor, doctor, David Duke, you say David Duke, but you kept on saying doctor as if to say that his, um, you know, his, uh, his doctorate makes him an authority. Uh, and then it reminded me of something. So David Duke is actually not a, a doctor. He doesn't have a doctorate, right? He, um, he has mm -hmm. a degree that he received um, from the Interregional Academy of Personnel Management, right? Uh, it's, just, um, it's this institution that gave him an honorary degree. And then uh, after his honorary degree was received, he wrote a thesis um, the thesis was called Zionism as a form of ethnic supremacism. And uh, that, that got him his, his actual academic degree. But the uh, degree is called a candidate nauk. So it's not a doctorate. It's a, it's, a, it's a different category. So it's sort of like a master's, but below a doctorate, a, a candidate nauk. Now, the Interregional Academy of Personnel Management um, is <laughs> it's, it's known by a different name. Uh, it, it's actually called... Uh, and I'm gonna get this wrong because my um, I I'm not the greatest reader of Cyrillic. I've only been studying like the Cyrillic language for a couple of months now. But Miss uh, Prigionalia Academia Upravnia Personal, which means um, Interregional uh, Academy of Personal Management. Do you know where the you know where the um, the institution is located? No idea. Kiev, Ukraine. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, it's apparently it's it's been called um, one of the most, if not the most, anti-Semitic learning institutions in Europe. Uh, wait, 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 wait! But I thought Ukraine was like the home of the Second Civil Rights Movement, and I thought uh, yeah, Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. I, yeah, I, I thought everyone in Ukraine listened to NPR. <laughs> I mean, based uh, on the coverage I saw, I mean, yeah. they all like they all like Kamala Harris, and they listen to NPR mm -hmm. all day. Based on yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, no, they they all they all uh they all drink um ethically sourced uh they all drink uh, coffee with ethically sourced beans um that are uh, not exploitational uh they they drink artisanal tea um, they love Hillary they love Hillary Clinton they do and they and they listen to like normcore music right? yeah this is this is shocking Norm, this is shocking to rap. me yeah, yeah I thought I, know, I, I thought I thought like all they did basically was just um. You know, hate on Donald Trump and and um, listen to NPR and listen to John Oliver, 
on on repeat mm-hmm. all day. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's amazing yeah. to me. Wait, wait. Yeah, so, no, so I, 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 I think Malcolm Nance is uh, not hanging out with the right people right now. Malcolm Nance is hanging out with some less than savory characters, uh, to oh, put wow. it lightly. Uh, yeah, yeah. When he uh, he put he put that uh, you know the, the, the patches on that. First of all, like putting on um, putting on um, body armor, uh, like the 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 putting on the body armor, but then, that doesn't have any plates in it. Uh, you you kind of wonder as, as to the efficacy. Like, if there's any like you know live <laughs> ammo um, flying his way, I don't know that the uh, the armor that he put on with no place in it is going to do much to help him. Um, but also, his magazine was fucked up. Uh, <laughs> if you actually like, what if you look at the gun that he was holding? I'm not even sure who who gave him that rifle uh, and why he as somebody he's in the Marines. Like, he should have known that the rifle he he was holding was not going to fire anything um the, ma- the magazine and the rifle were not compatible but uh yeah yeah so malcolm Nance is um hanging out with uh, some interesting characters yeah i'm sure there's just a few bad apples i'm sure it's just like, <laughs> a, like yeah like two or three you know thousand million what, what's the difference you know neo-nazis i'm sure it's nothing uh, to worry well, about i mean first it was like a couple of hundred people and then it was like a couple thousand and now it's only like five percent and it's only one battalion it's got nothing to do with like their <laughs> infiltration into the broader ukrainian body, body politics nothing like that nothing we really have to worry about oh and by the way we're handing them over um i mean they they've gotten so far this year something to the order of like close to close to 100 billion dollars worth of arms um and i'm positive that none of those weapons are going to find their way into the hands of people that we may end up um having problems with later on uh, not, someone... not you know, far-right ultranationalists neo-nazis <laughs> i wouldn't really worry about that Someone tweeted in the live chat, uh, what y'all talking about? Malcolm Nance is over there saving democracy. Yeah, nobody doubts that, you know, for sure. Like, <laughs> I just want to make sure these bad apples don't get in the way of him uh, saving democracy. You know what I thought Bro. of when I saw him do yeah. that picture? I thought of the Malcolm X uh, quote about, um, we sick boss? Like, like, like that's what I thought of when I saw him, like, arming up. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. We, we mad boss? Who, who we met at? Who, who we met at today, boss? We, hey, boss. As, we done talking, boss? Are we done talking? <laughs> As mad like you, boss. You know, he's, he's ready to. He's ready to get. Um, did you see Black Widow? Did you see the Black Widow movie? Oh no, I didn't see a Black Widow. Oh, you didn't see? Oh, okay, okay. So you missed David Harbor um, dressing up as Red Guardian. So basically, like uh, David Harbor. Uh, David Harbor is like the dude from um, Stranger Things. Stranger, the guy who Stranger the Things. Yeah. yeah, 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 and he played Hellboy and so on. So yeah, like uh, he he plays Red Guardian in um the the Black Widow movie, and he it's a version of Red Guardian where like in the 1980s he was um he was like you know uh, more more fit. He like integrated into American society because like him and Natasha and Yelena and I forget the name of his wife, but they were they actually weren't related. They were Russian spies. So but you know he was like trim and fit and so on. But then, like, fast forward to the present day, you know, he's been in prison for, for decades. Uh, the guy, he's, like, he's big. He's out of shape. He drinks a lot of beer. So there's a point in the movie where he actually um, uh, gets access to his old Red Guardian costume. And he puts this costume on. And he's just, like, he's spilling out of it. Like, he does not fit into the costume anymore. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like, the, like the dad who, like, pulls his old uh, football uniform out of the attic. And puts it on to see if it still fits properly, and it's like, Dad, like, come on, your your days, your glory days are long behind you. And that's kind of what Malcolm Nance looked like, with like, you know, the full gear on, <laughs> you know, the fucking the the, the helmet with, that was like strapped underneath his double chin, 
and like he was like he was like it, fat it, Thor. He's like fat Thor in Endgame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just a fucking mess. So yeah, it was just it was it was, it was wild to me. It's it really funny that I had to go into that room and it just like and the thing was I knew it like it was the that that little tidbit of information was like way back in some dusty attic in my memory um, that David Duke received his. So the the candidate now means like uh, candidate of sciences. So it's basically like it's below a doctorate of sciences, but I guess it would be more than a master's. But it's not a doctorate by any stretch. Like there's an, there's an actual doctorate that um that the USSR had had, and that uh, Ukraine still sort of recognizes. Um, but the fact that he he got an honorary degree, so not like he didn't his work previously as like a uh, you know um, a, a KKK grand wizard. Um, as a you know, as a hate monger and anti semite and all that stuff, that was all known to the university, and that is why he received his honorary doctorate because of his, his work done previously. And then he writes uh, a thesis on uh, on Jewish identity as inherently ethnic supremacist, uh, and they gave him a candidate of the sciences degree, um, and it's in the capital of, of Ukraine. Where this happened so imagine mm. like imagine like nyu you know awarding a doctorate to fucking to, to david duke and, and i'm sorry uh, yeah imagine imagine nyu honoring um uh, giving him an honorary degree and then awarding him a doctorate like what kind of response that would get but uh apparently these people aren't nazis you know there's there's no no nazi problem in this country anyway yeah i mean i don't know it's it's, it's all gonna be it's going to get worse before it gets better as far as the media goes. And um, I have like so many thoughts about this, but I will just say this last thing. I, I was Somebody tweeted this today, and this is the last thing I'm going to say before we uh, you know, move on to the topic. But someone tweeted something really interesting where they said, and had we tweeted it earlier, they said, you ever snap to and, and think, holy shit, COVID swept through and killed a million people, very likely more. The greatest upward transfer of wealth in history happened and there's no sign of it in collective reality everyone is just partying harder and the thing that i was thinking about was uh who's gonna tell them because the place that 90 percent of people watch to get informed is uh created by the people who got the upward transfer of wealth like like uh like yeah this person who tweeted it probably you know, I guess most of the news from Twitter and alternative media sources and, you know, probably listens to things like This Is Hell Radio and all these progressive things. But it's like um, we're in this crazy place where the people who, you know, have the most reason to be mad and revolt and react and, you know, overthrow things are the ones who are consuming, like, the worst uh, milk toast propaganda by you know made by centrists and rich people. It's a uh, it's really in- interesting uh, set of events. But yeah, I mean, I, I just think the misinformation is gonna keep happening, and the beatings will just keep happening until morale improves. And yeah, I mean, basically, I don't know. That's but on that upbeat note, uh, let's talk about Batman. Oh, sorry, the Batman. I thought this movie was very, very, very incredibly okay. I I didn't even really like, I didn't find much to hate about it or love about it. I just, like, it was watchable. 
uh, well, to a degree, like it took me about two or three days to watch it because it was just unnecessarily long. Um, and it was it was interesting. I mean, there were some things I would have improved about it. Like I wish he could have fought better. Like the fighting was, except for the very last fight, was the I think the best fight where he's fighting all like the the incels. Um, oh, um, I don't know, man. Like. Being a, a, a connoisseur of the martial arts in film, like I was, you know, I, I grew up on, I mean, on top of like having done martial arts myself, like since I was, you know, in my early teens, um, I, I'm, I've been like raised on martial arts in film, uh, like, you know, old Hong Kong movies, not, not just like Shaw Brothers movies, but like, you know, like 1980s and 1990s Hong Kong action flicks and so on. And there's like a certain dynamism and a, a method of cinematography in, um, in that genre of film that I think I've only seen a couple of um, Western uh, filmmakers get anywhere close to that. Probably the best one I would say so far was uh, that, that flick um, nobody with Bob Odenkirk. Did you watch it? Oh uh, yeah. I watched that. That was enjoyable. That was that, like the, the fight scenes in that movie were re- like, you have to go and watch the fight scenes over again. They were really, really good. Like I could tell a lot of work went into um, plotting out uh, all of like the actions and reactions and like the way that uh, his character would improvise weapons and so on. Um, and how about John, how about what, John Wick? I, I surprised you didn't mention John Wick. Well, I, John Wick I, I, I didn't mention John Wick only because um in John Wick, they they suffer from this one problem, which is uh, cutting from shot to shot too quickly. So, like, not being able to see where he is in relation to um, anybody except for the person that he's fighting at that moment, um, an improper use of space. Uh, the, there is one scene in the John Wick movies that I think did that, in the first John Wick movie, at least, that did this really well, uh, which was the scene where he's in the, the nightclub, like, beating up and killing all the Russians. And um, I would say that was probably like the closest that the um, Strahovskis came to matching that Hong Kong level dynamism. But nobody did it way better, Uh, like being able to like utilize space uh, using improvised weapons and also long shots. So you can tell that it was the actor who trained for those scenes and executed them rather than using the quick cuts so that the stunt double could step in where necessary. Uh, I, I think nobody probably did it the best. Um, so when I saw the the, the scene with um, Batman versus the the January six rioters, it was I don't know, man. I, I haven't actually enjoyed fight scenes from almost any Batman movie at all ever. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, like and, even and a, even a Tim Burton like, one. Yeah, even the Tim yeah. Burton one, the one good fight scene was where he's fighting the guy with the two swords and he's using his gloves and his boots. Yeah. And that was really good. It was in a trailer. I mean, you watched the movie, it was all like 20 seconds. Right. And the rest of the fight scenes were not were not that good. Well, so, it's, yeah, hard, yeah, it's hard I, to, I, I, totally I mean, that would have been really difficult for him to move around in that rubber suit. Like, the, the you know, the neck was fused to the cowl. So yeah. whatever he wanted to, like, turn towards an enemy, he had to turn his whole body. Like his yeah. next, so it's really hard to film fight scenes that are dynamic when, like, you have massive limitations on your body as you're filming it. But the thing that I didn't appreciate about, um, uh, I I think the first, yeah, the um, 
Batman Begins movie, I don't think that his Batman costume had a flexible neck in that one. I think it was um, The Dark Knight where they gave the Batman costume a flexible neck. But he did the same thing that he did in, or that is, uh, uh, Christopher Nolan did the same thing in The Dark Knight that he did in Batman Begins, which is use those, those quick cuts to describe. You can't even tell who's hitting who. Like, the majority of the fight scenes that take place, and I remember, like, there were so many YouTube videos on, like, how Christian Bale had trained. Like, he he learned um, KFM, the KC fighting method, and, like, this, like, you know, they were talking about, like, how amazing and how, like, appropriate the martial art would be for somebody like Batman, who does, like, that up-close fighting and overpowers his enemies, not just by being stronger than them, but by uh, being, like, a faster and more, like, uh, tactical fighter in close. But you can't tell any of that because everything cuts from shot to shot to shot so quickly, I can't tell who's hitting who. It's yeah. almost like that. Uh, honestly, remember that we're, remember honestly, we're, remember Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like the, the live action film? Yeah. Okay, remember how, like, when April O'Neil is coming out of the Channel 5 building um, and she's about to get mugged, uh, Raphael, like, throws his tie into the street light, and then all of a sudden you see, like, a couple of quick cuts and um, the lights go back on and the muggers are, like, tied up on the floor. It's kind of like yeah. that, except, like, for an extended fight scene. Yeah, and in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it had a purpose because you were supposed to uh, not see that it was a turtle doing it. So there was a reason for concealing, you know, right. his identity and how, how he fought. And later on, when they showed their whole bodies, they had normal uh, fight scenes. But, uh, I mean, Christopher Nolan, I always say, like, it's like watching the fight scenes, it was elbows, knees, um, and then gra- grabbing of forearms, and then the sounds of somebody punching a mattress like i don't even understand what <laughs> what that was it, 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 it was the worst <laughs> worst thing and, and 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 then when i saw how they um actually filmed it it still looked boring like when it showed like the behind the scenes on the um dvd and everything and it's like i just think it's suffering from realism like yeah there might be a realistic way to fight but I mean, why does anybody want to watch a superhero to see anything realistic? Is always my my thing. Like, well, my like, question I'm... was, how is it? How is it you'd go off to like you know to some like far off mountains? I'm I don't know if it was like they were in the Himalayas or wherever, but you know he basically does like ninja training somewhere off in like Southeast Asia, uh, sorry, like uh, in 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 Central Asia, and you know he's 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 off like uh, with uh, a bunch of devotees that it looked to me like they were using ninjutsu was the the martial art that was being trained at least like uh, the sword motions that they were putting him through and so on looked like ninjutsu so how is it that he would go off to uh train for many years um in this like uh you know japanese-based martial art and then come back to the united states and be using like a a brand new up-to-date martial art that was invented by a couple of dudes like just by a couple of white dudes like there was no there was no yeah, that's a, consistency that's a good in point. the technique. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, hey, Kay, you want to unmute and say anything? And also, if anybody else wants to weigh in on this movie, just feel free to hop in the queue. You don't need to have us, um, you know, lay out anything or lay out an explicit invite. Everyone's in, entitled to come up and share their opinion. Hey, T. Thank you. How y'all doing? Pretty, pretty good, good, man. How you feeling? Pretty good, pretty good. Can you hear me okay? I got these yeah, big yeah, right, yeah, cool. you sound pretty good. Uh, hey, Kay, I'm going to ask you a general question. Uh, when sure. in, in the American value system did having 
a national Batman at all times become so important. Like it's, I remember like you would have a Batman. Sometimes you go seven, eight years with no Batman. Like after Batman uh, mm. and Robin, it was like seven, yeah. eight years, no Batman. No one knew when it was going to come back. But now it's like a Bat- Batman and Spider-Man, like James Bond, where you ha- the, the, the nation needs one at all times. You better have the next one lined up. Yeah, when the other, the other ones, when the other ones, yeah, exactly. like, like, yeah, yeah, like as soon as, um, you know, whenever, um, whenever Robert Pattinson is ready to hang it up, you know, we'll be like waiting with bated breath until you see white smoke rise from Warner Brothers Studios. Yeah, strange. I, I, I mean, again, I thought Ben Affleck should have got more of a chance just based on his outsized personality. He was the biggest name in that suit. And the fact that he was such an arrogant kind of prick, or he seemed to be, that was the thing he kind of gave off a lot of times. Him running into, I mean, him as, uh, what's the guy, Wayne, uh, Bruce Wayne, running into 9-11 was fantastic to me. I would have loved to have built off of that somehow, because I thought that was interesting for me. Just knowing what we think of as being facts about Ben Affleck, in terms of him being very self-conscious. Oh, no, and you, kind you of wanted to be... He wanted to keep playing mm-hmm. Batman. It's just that he had a um, uh, a huge. Oh well, first of all, he experienced I think family loss, and he was also oh. going through like a major alcohol problem. So he had to step oh. down. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, no. I mean, and again, I wasn't I wasn't criticizing anybody who decided to not use him or whatever he did. But it was just one of those things where I was like, oh damn, I would have liked to have seen him do something else, man, or to even take this series in a different direction. Just because they looked like they were at least basing something off of who he was as we knew him. So anyway, that wasn't even why I, I brought it up, but it just made me think about it when you started talking about the the acceleration of Batman. Like I remember taking my buddy to the IMAX version of Batman Begins, and I really enjoyed that. And I just thought. I hope they slow down, and you know, and then of course they they kind of everything became fetishized around Joker after Heath Ledger died and the Dark Knight wasn't that great a movie to me. I was very disappointed in it, considering I liked liked Batman Begins almost as much as I like say Superman the the original Superman. So it was interesting to see that kind of and then really obviously come out. on dog. It was that it was it well, couldn't have been that good. Well, you know what it was? There were certain things that they did which I had never seen before, which was the blue tint to everything in Batman Begins. They hinted at things as opposed to just threw things out at you. Now, by the way, I hate most of Nolan's films, or at least I have problems with them normally. So Batman Begins was one of those one-offs for me where I felt like he was hinting at so much more than he gave away, and that there might be more room to do some other things and, you know, sequels, which he didn't bother to do. But at least initially, you look at just the tone of things, how the colors, even in, when he's out in the, up in the mountains, he's picking up a blue flower, the blue stuff that makes the poof as blue. So, you know, it gives him all the ideas for being the Batman. And it's, again, it's a little bit of detail that I found really pleasurable when I'm watching this, like acting like I was the first time watching a Batman film at all. So that was two what thi- I liked it. it was, yeah, 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 two, things that, two things that were hard for me with the Batman Begins movie was the, the morality was just kind of weird to me. Like, for example, yeah. he's like, he's like, hey, uh, I'm not gonna kill Ross, you know, and and, and uh, you know, with that, with that with that Cookie Monster voice, and then mm-hmm. he's like, but I could let you die. It's like, 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 like nigga, nigga, that's I'm the not same gonna thing. kill you, but yeah. I don't know how to save you. 
Yeah, yeah, dude, that's the fucking same thing. Like, what are you talking about? That makes no fucking sense. <laughs> like, like, hey, but, have, but, at least Ben Affleck just made that guy just a straight up fucking serial killer. He's just, he's just mowing down. Like, at least he's like more yeah. honest. Like, like, hey, I just kill people. I, I, I fucking brand people and I put them into prison so that they, they can get killed because of the brand, even though there's no there's no explanation of why the brand. One more thing, one more thing about begins. The other thing is, uh, Ross earlier says, okay, you can have a fight to the death uh, against a body. He's like, no, I'm not going to kill anybody. Then he sits in motion, something that blows up the whole school. It's probably killed like 300 people. <laughs> like, I was like, wait, so to avoid killing one person in a one-on-one fight, you just fucking blew up the oh, whole yeah, school. Yeah. Nobody, there's no way... No one didn't get killed. People in, didn't survive that. He... Yeah, like uh, he he didn't want to kill the. Uh, they brought in this criminal that he was supposed to behead, and they're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, kill this, kill this guy, and then you can take your place in the academy. He's like, I'm not gonna kill this guy, and then like he he like uh take, he he knocks a red hot poker into some gunpowder. It blows up the whole fucking school. That guy, <laughs> that makes... guy didn't make Shit. it. He did not make it. Yeah, it makes no <laughs> sense. And yeah, yeah, everybody, including the guy that you said you weren't gonna kill, you just uh kill just to prove some weird point. It's like. Okay, this... Would y'all stop playing attention to the plot for a second? <laughs> okay, all right. Y'all trying to pick it apart. What I'm saying, what I liked about, okay, listen, even just in that moment when he let let uh, Liam Neeson die and whatever, that fact that he had some fingers, whatever those things were, that allowed him to be able to electrify some fabric that automatically made it stiff, made so much sense to me, man. Some of the things that they just explained about the Batman. It was on a level, and again, Christopher Nolan always does stuff that's sometimes a little goofy when it comes to superhero <laughs> stuff anyway, right? You try to make something too realistic and it comes off wrong. But in those moments, it made sense, some of the things, even the Batmobile, as I remember it. I'm not, I'm not going to say too much about it because I might be wrong. But I remember just the idea of electrifying some particular fabric and making it stiff so you could float. That was wonderful in the sense of, like, we never bothered to get that in any of the films before. Why is this man, who's obviously at least 300 pounds, no, I mean, excuse me, about 250, 220, is flying down the earth so softly after, you know, just having some foofy kind of cape or whatever. So those things I just felt like were really meaningful to me. I'm probably thinking of some, I'm missing some other things, too, about The Batman Begins. But there was a couple of things that just hit notes for me that made me go, okay. And I remember when we were talking to my boy about it because he wasn't a superhero guy. He was like, yeah, I really appreciated that. Now, again, with the moral stuff and all that, and him coming back to the thing and almost killing Joe Flo or whatever the heck the guy's name is, and then the guy killed I didn't care about none of that. And a matter of fact, that sounded just like bringing it back to the Batman. A lot of that with uh, all these Italian-named gangsters or whatever, I didn't care about that at all. I mean, again, I, I, it was something about all of that that seemed to be important for dirtying up this, this Gotham. And it didn't feel dirty at all to me in either Gotham so far, by the way. So that was the things that I, I didn't care about. But something about just his making, I was more interested in Christian Bale uh, in that Batman uh, origin story than I'd ever been in any other Batman origin story stuff. So I guess that was what I was I saying. Think, yeah. I think there's one thing that's kind of missing. I mean, uh, I think Christopher Nolan was starting to get at it with Batman Begins, but then abandoned it by The Dark Knight, which is that Gotham City is its own character in the Batman comic. Like, there's something sure. just, like, deeply evil and sinister about the city itself. Like, it's almost like there's no other city in America that could produce those kinds of deranged freaks and that, that level of criminality 
um, except for Gotham. So, uh, like, you you got a sense of that in the layout of Gotham, like, having, like, the mainland and the Narrows, um, having, like, Arkham Asylum be, like, you know, this, like, um, uh, this sort of, like, segregated facility away from, uh, segregated facility away from the city, um, mm-hmm. that, like, after the poison gas was released and all of the, uh, the insane people got out, they said, well, the Narrows is lost, like, they were, they were getting into the world building, but then when the Dark Knight came around, none of that uh, showed up anymore. Like, they never talked yeah. about the Narrows. They never talked about, like, what happened to Arkham or any of that. It just sort of went off the map altogether. And then Gotham became sort of a, a cross between New York and Chicago. And then by the Dark Knight Rises, Gotham was just New York. You know? So yeah. it was just... Yeah, it, it, he, he, he took out, I think, one of the most important elements of any Batman story, which was Gotham City. Yeah, no, that's important. Oh, by the way, let me mention a couple of things before I forget too. Uh, his father, when he remembers as a kid falling down into that bat cave, and his father kind of rappelling down there to save him. Again, it's just one of these things that gives you the sense of why he's decided to become that kind of hero. The uh, opera where he goes to, and all these people are swinging from the vines, and they're kind of turning into little bats, and he's getting freaked out by the the bat cave the little boy was in. Yeah, they're, all they're, those they're things. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's been used in comic books before. I just didn't see it. So the fact that he was putting it into the movie and making it real. Oh no, that's I that's just... uh, that was always that's like that's canon. That that's the film or that's the play that they were they were watching. Um, oh, was that right? Thomas and Martha Wayne were killed. Yeah, Darth Vader mouse. Oh, okay, cool, oh wait, cool, wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait! I thought I thought I thought the the recent canon was that it was Zorro that they that they see the the mark of Zorro. <laughs> what? Yeah, what yeah. You talk, up, you, talk, you, talk, you talk about the night, the night that they die. Yeah, not yeah. the Ferris die. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's Marcus Zorro. Google it. Was it? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I mean. But but anyway, I'm, I'm only mentioning that to say that like there were certain things that were leading you to give. I don't know for some reason the way they pieced it together, it made you go, okay, I can see what. I mean, usually they show these kids things, and I mean all the Spider Mans with the boys sitting there forever thinking about Uncle Ben. I mean, I only I know they only did the Uncle Ben thing once or twice, but it was just something that irritated you because they spent so much time on the pathos of all that stuff. And this was more like, okay, his father got killed. Forget about the plot and all that stuff around him trying to kill Joe Blow. But the fact that you see all these things floating in, it reminded me of year one in the sense of how you got you got the sense of Bruce Wayne earning the old notion of a bat flying through his window because he needed something and he had dressed up and put on the right makeup, but he didn't have the bat as a signal. It just reminded me of year one in that way because he was getting things, but they didn't they didn't automatically tell you, okay, that's how I'm piecing this together and that's how I'm piecing this together. It was much more of a allow you as the audience to kind of figure out how he came to the notion of a bat flying around in the sky. I hope that makes sense, what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, no, it, it makes sense. Uh, also, yeah. I, I looked it up. It started with uh, Frank Miller, Dark Knight Returns that, that became canon, that uh, it was the Marcus Zorro. So I so I don't know oh, what okay. it was. Oh, wow. I don't know what I don't know what it was before Dark Knight Returns. Hey, can I, I ask I, you I guys one question? It was the uh, Deflator Mouse. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just want to ask you guys one question because this is one of them films where I was excited to see it because of one of them damn trailers. And X Men, uh, what's the one where uh, they go back in time? I think uh, Wolverine goes back in time. That trailer got me to make me think I should go see it. Uh, X Men Two was lived up to its trailer, but that trailer was amazing. And this trailer was great. I mean, he's knocking people upside the head with giant AKs or whatever those giant guns are. And then he's he's managed to impale one guy between his gun and the thing. And he's knocking that guy out. I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be a, 
a real kinetically energetic kind of film. Even the way they even portrayed uh, Zoe Kravitz's daughter. Uh, Zoe, uh, uh, is that Zoe? Yeah, Zoe. No, Zoe, Zoe, Kravitz, Zoe Kravitz is the daughter. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah. I thought that scene in the trailer, that one that you're talking about, with yes, where, he's, yes. where he's fighting all the all the incels, that to me was mm-hmm. the best was the best fight. And I wish the fights all throughout were, uh, the rest were just kind of like Arkham Asylum looking, like just, just kind of ground and pound. And but I can I kind of yes. see why because he didn't seem like he could move that well in the suit. Whereas like for example, Zoe Kravitz scenes I thought were actually better because her suit yes. looked like she could she could move in it. But oh, she was I gorgeous feel, in the suit. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like by the time they got to the last fight, I don't know if they were using some CGI to assist or wire work or stuntmen, but he was moving much better to me in that final fight. Yeah, uh, actually, like I also fight, like much that. They, they had her. Um, they had her doing like it seemed like kind of a mix of like capoeira. Um, and uh, I forget the name of this Filipino martial art, but like, uh, you you, oh, sorry, not Filipina. Um. Indonesian martial art. Uh, you, you've seen it in The Raid. I don't know if you've, you've seen the movie uh, The Raid Redemption or The Raid 2. Um, mm. But, like, uh, yeah, her like the way that she moved, I was like, okay, so that would make sense for a woman character to move that way because she's obviously, like, physically weaker than the men. She can't just, like, go, like, toe-to-toe with them. So mm. she has to, like, you know, like, I, I mean, first of all, use darkness to her advantage, but also, like, not just, like, just do, like, straight... Uh, like punches to the face or whatever, but like uh, to like to try to trip them, to try to like uh, to use uh, low kicks, uh, uh, make the, uh, get them off balance. You, mm. I like that. Like in the scene in um, when she was up against uh, Salvatore Maroni's henchman, again she knocks the lights out. But like when she was fighting the last henchman, uh, and they were like scuffling in the dark, you could see her like grab him and then just like fall straight backwards, and she used her body weight to pull his face into the bar. Like he fell mm. face first into the bar, and that knocked his ass out. And I'm like. That's how you have a woman fight a dude yes. relatively realistically in a movie rather than just like in the, the Blade 3 movie, um, Jessica Biel's character <laughs> just like puts in a pair of fucking Apple headphones and then just wails on a bunch of fucking vampires. And I'm like, come on, dog. Come on. <laughs> oh, but that's I, what I was going to ask you guys. Uh, the trailer. Just, do you guys ever think you, you might do a thing about trailers that are promising and trailers that deliver? I'm curious about that. Just how, how trailers work for you guys, too. Sorry, I, I didn't mean I actually do my best to avoid trailers as much as possible. I mean, but, I, I mean these I'll, days, yeah. but did you, always avail, did you always avoid them growing no. up? No. Do you remember um, back in, like, the early 2000s, um, Apple actually had, mm-hmm. like, most, most movie trailers would Quick be time. on Apple. Yeah, yes, yeah, quick yeah. time. Yes, I used to yeah. watch them little, little, the little thumbnails practically. I was blowing them uh, yeah, up as big as I could. I used to sit oh, at home, like, I, yeah, whenever like my uh, my homework was done for university, like when I was in my classes and my uh, my homework was done, I didn't have anything scheduled. I would just sit there and just like watch trailer after trailer after trailer. But what oh, I'm realizing yeah. now is that like the trailers have become almost their own mini movies. Like mm. a lot of shit that shows up in the trailers does not show up in the actual film. It's almost like yes. It's there to get you hyped for the film, but it, it's not giving you a sense of what the film is actually going to be. So I've just stopped watching them. Yeah, there was a there was a, a shoot. To, it was a film with Sidney Portier years ago called Shoot to Kill. Great film, by the way. Him and Tom Berenger go after Christy Alley because his murderer is kind of kidnapped her. It's very much like the uh, Meryl Streep movie. But in any case, long story short, the trailer has this scene where him and Tom Berenger have to bury themselves in ice. And he says, I've never seen uh, what sunburn, look, uh, uh, snow, what do you call it, frostbite looks like like on a black man. And then he looks back and says, what does it look like on a white man? And it's just a funny little scene, but they never show that in the movie. 
And I remember just thinking to myself, oh, damn, that's, I didn't know you could get away with that, <laughs> you know? And that's so bad. That's, that's in the 80s, probably, when that movie came out, too. But it's interesting, just with, with, the, with the art or non-art going into trailers a lot of times, especially because I like the Batman. I, I mean, I like the Batman trailer, that first trailer, I think, the one that me and Trevor were talking about just now. There was something really lovely I mean, about that. And I'm just, yeah, go ahead. Oh, dogs there for me, one problem is, like, I hate reaction videos and stuff that just tries to take, like, a two-minute or less trailer and make long content out of it. I just feel like it, oh God, it, yeah, yeah. It contributes yeah. Like, to, like the extrapolate the, the plot from it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I feel like it just adds to the content for content sakeness of everything, which in the long run we're probably contributing to anyway. But I just feel like having a Colin show about trailers would just be adding to the whole. Uh, we're gonna milk every that like like, <laughs> like, like, like I, I just hate looking at somebody look at a trailer. And the person's like, ooh, ooh, shit, ooh. And I'm like, well, why does this have a million views? Like, like, like I don't get it. So, yeah. So, like, so, like, I don't know. Hey, if you started filming them reaction videos, maybe you wouldn't have to do this call-in show anymore because you're, no, you're million and a half YouTube views yeah, totally. would be keeping you paid. No, no, it wouldn't work for me because I wouldn't be able to just fake having an orgasm and everything like they do. Like, like, like I feel like if you look at it and you're like, eh, that's all right. People will tune up. People just want to see the person just act like you know that, that they're just in yeah. the pants yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. A, and i'm somebody like who doesn't the, react uh, very well the black people listening to white music uh reaction videos you know what i mean like oh yeah a black a black person is listening are listening to in the air tonight for the first time and they're just like over the top reacting i'm like come on and the thumbnails yeah yeah and the thumbnails are so over the top with them yeah you know, versus got like yeah, they, they're like man, ten, more, their more than and, expression. Yeah, they're yeah. fucking their eyes and they got their hands clapped over their mouth and everything. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> I see you guys watch those things. My brother tried to send me them. I, I just couldn't. I could not watch them. I just it's no interest to me to watch somebody responding to something, whatever generation they're from or out of if they've never seen it before. It's just I'm more interested in just trying to feel people out. Like I love going into a movie theater where people are getting re-familiar. Like I went to see The Godfather recently, and it was people getting more re-familiarize with the content of The Godfather because there's a lot of older people like my age and above. And that was really ple- pleasing because I was feeling people get responses that they hadn't, they, either they hadn't seen the film before or they hadn't seen it in years. So they were surprised. And it was, it was nice to s- just be in a theater for a second and go, go through all those experiences again. Uh, I'm, anyway. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to ask just in general to anybody in the audience, um, was there anybody who was like, saw this movie and was like, this is really, really, really like amazing. Like what I needed because for me, it's like I didn't dislike the movie. It was okay, but I just feel like there wasn't really much new to be said. Like I just feel like either we need a break from really dark, psychotic Batman, or we need something really different. Like I just feel like between Nolan, the Ben Affleck, this one, it was like it was. I feel like it was eighty percent the same stuff, but you know, twenty percent a little. A little change, and like one of the changes I wasn't too crazy about. Right, I get that everybody's upset that they showed the origin too much. It's become a trendy thing to complain about, right? So, in this one, they kind of underexplained it. Like, like they didn't tell you why he's Batman. Like they didn't even mention that, that you know he's doing it because of his parents. Like I feel like they tried so hard to not fall into that trap. You almost don't even know why he's so vengeful. Like, like I guess just take it for granted. Everybody knows this is why. Uh, Batman is like this, but I think you should always try to pretend, even if it's not true, that this is somebody's first exposure 
to the character. I just found it really interesting. He just shows up, I'm vengeance. And then he's just like really pissed and he's working through this whole thing, but they barely say, you know, exactly what's got him doing all this, you know? Um, Maybe they mentioned it and it was in such passing that I just uh, missed it. I don't know, but I mean, it was three hours and I was zoning out a lot, so they might have said it. Um, uh, he has a conversation with Alfred where he um, talked about like his, uh, his his parent's death and that it may have been orchestrated by it was either like you know Maroni or um, I forget what the other gangster's name is. Like the the two Italian gangsters in Gotham, it was Dovtor Maroni and the one that someone, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know, the, I know the, the one the one that's played by no the one that's played by John Turturro. Like he's not Sal Maroni, he's the other guy, uh, Falcone, Carmine Falcone, right? So it was like it was a, it was a question of like which of the two um, murdered his parents. So I, I think a new viewer would have gotten like okay, so um, he's obviously like tra- traumatized and um, engaging in this like this crusade because his parents were murdered um, by somebody in organized crime. Yeah, that's fair. By the way, this was, just speaking of what you're saying, Trevor, this felt like the most interchangeable parts, maybe necessary, maybe unnecessary that I've ever seen in a film. Where, I mean, obviously Pattinson's the new Batman, but there was nothing to Jeffrey Wright's role, I felt like. It was any significance also- to me. I I mean, I thought Jeffrey Wright did a good job, but it just didn't feel like that different than Gary Oldman's. And one that was interesting was Jeffrey Wright had his, his own Batman voice, which was weird. That's not, I feel like it's not his normal voice. <laughs> I know. He sounded like Batman, too. It was like, well, hey, no, all of the, hey, cops, Batman, all of the he... cops had, no, all the yeah. cops had their own, like, I think the voices in this movie were probably the most unique out of any superhero movie I've seen for a yeah. very long time. Because, like, the police chief, um, the guy who plays like he's Irish. He doesn't have that voice, but like him putting on that like that 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 high that high New York accent was just he, he sounded like he'd been smoking for a number of years and he always talked like this. No, I've never heard nobody <laughs> talk like this in real life. And then like and then uh, the uh, the superintendent uh, when he was saying that you know I just caught you assaulting an officer and you're looking at years in prison. For this. I'm like, no, they're putting these voices on. This is kind of wild. So like. On the one hand, it was super grounded, but on the other hand, like the characters had these voices that were really cartooning to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just doing interchangeable uh, blue collar urban American voice, yeah. and you know, someone, some, some guys sound like Chicago, someone's not like New York. But, but Gordon and Batman, particularly, were just weird because because Gordon's like, "Hey, Batman, what do you think?" And Batman's like, "I don't know, Gordon. What do you think?" It's like <laughs> one of them has it. One of them has to talk normal. It doesn't sound right when both of them sound like Batman. I was like, why did they let Jeffrey Wright like do his own Batman? Hey, did voice? Jeffrey Wright audition for Batman? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, it was very weird. His voice almost sounded more Batmanish than Batman's. It was very uh, bizarre to me. But I mean, I I liked him. I thought he was good. I I enjoyed him. Uh, I yeah. just thought his voice choices were. But, but you're right. Everyone's voice choice was kind of weird in this one. Yeah, even even like uh, even Zoe Kravitz, like that wasn't her normal way of speaking. Like she had this like sort of. She lowered her voice almost like a half an octave. Um, although, like that's fairly regular for women who play Catwoman, is that they'll like they'll lower their voice to give her that sort of like scratchy, sultry um, tinge to her voice. But the thing was, that's what she was always like. Like as Selena Kyle, because she she like 
all she did to play Catwoman was just pull a ball of clover over her face. So she was always talking like that. You know, is it? I don't know. It was kind. Of, it was kind of wild to me. But, but you're right in the sense that like, it didn't really do a whole lot different from the Nolan movies. And like, obviously, because the um, Snyder, uh, the Snyder interpretation of Batman was inspired by Frank Miller. That it's like it's almost like um, like when you photocopy a document and then you photocopy it again and it, like you ever have like a teacher in school that has um like doesn't have the original textbook but she has a photocopy of the pages and then it just becomes like photocopied over and over to the extent that like after a while you can't even really tell what it says on the page anymore and it's like the only way that you can fix the problem is by just getting the original version of whatever document that they were photocopying over and over so it's like i kind of feel like there needs to be a fresh version of batman that's not rooted in the frank miller novels or like or just come up with something original because whatever like sort of grim dark path we've been set on since the 1980s it's not getting any better yeah i mean i mean one yeah i know i know what you mean it feels kind of one note i don't i don't know but it wasn't bad to me just three hours like for three hours you maybe have to say something really new and i just I mean, say what you will about say what you will about the Joel Schumacher movies. At least he tried to do something different. Yeah, he did. I'll yeah, totally like, give uh, that. granted, like you know, people laugh at the the nipples on the bat suit thing, but like, you know, uh, adding the the neon element of Gotham was. I mean, I thought that was a unique touch. It's almost like, you know, hearkening back to the the campiness of the Adam West Batman, but the Adam West Batman for the most part took place during the daytime, which was obviously like. It's not canon, so I feel like in order to lighten up the atmosphere, you can't just film scenes during the day um, when generally Batman operates at nighttime. So you brighten up the night. Um, and granted, like I think it came across as like really silly and obviously like helped to almost destroy the franchise. But at least he was willing to take a risk. And I feel like like everybody else is just so afraid of straying away from the Frank Miller path um, that even even. Matt Reeves, who I think was in a way trying to offer a counter narrative to the Frank Miller inspired Batman, that he ended up falling into the same trap. That, like, it's fine to portray Gotham City as this, like, you know, crime ridden, systemically, like, corrupt, um, like this, just like this, this, this festering wound in society. I, I get that. But you don't have to do that with um, having your daytime be gray at all times. And having your your nighttime and your nightlife and all of your characters just be like just caked in like grime and grit, you know what I mean? I also don't like Gotham like too miserable. Like I feel like the idea should be like it's miserable when he starts, but he brings it to some place that's like workable. But you get the idea that without Batman, Gotham would be like a um, you know shithole. But I feel like the modern uh, interpretation now is that even after he's Batman, like, okay, Dark Knight, he's been retired for, like, a long time, so it's a shithole again. But, like, you know, Batman year one, he is just starting, so he it's a shithole, you know? But the idea is that, you know, in both books, it's a shithole because he's not there. It's a shithole in Batman year one because he's not there yet. And then in... um. Dark Knight Returns by Miller is a shithole because he's just kind of given up and everything. But 
I never understand the modern version where it's like his whole career is like a shithole. They say, okay, what is the point of him? Like, like he's just basically a crazy guy who was just indulging in, um, like, there's a lot of weird choices in modern Batman I don't understand. The other one is the idea that all the criminals wouldn't be criminals if it wasn't for him. So it's like, okay, Gotham City is a shithole, even with this guy there. So he's making, like, no difference. He's just stopping for being a little bit shittier. He's just, like, pissing in the ocean. Plus, he's amped up the villain quotient. So now all these people who wouldn't be villains are now villains because of him. And he won't kill any of them. So it's like, I think over time, they just made it so dark that it's just the crazy guy working out his problems in Gotham and everyone else has to... Like, like why would anybody live in Gotham uh, the way they make it today? There's like earthquakes there and the government abandons it. Every, these storylines just keeps getting shittier and shittier, like No Man's Land. And yeah. and that's kind of like my, my problem with this. I think there should be some idea. And this one thing I will give Nolan's uh, Batman credit on is this idea that he did such a good job for a couple of years. He even took off. Like, you know, like, they didn't, they didn't realize, okay, this guy had a purpose for existing. His battle was, um, wasn't was 100% futile. You know, then at the very end, he even kind of retires and passes it off to someone else because he shaped up the city enough that he could, like, you know, take a break. And that's that's one thing I never understand about the new Batman, about how it's so bleak. To me, it's not even good as escapism. Like, you basically... Um, the escapism is like, you know, bureaucracy and failure. Like, I, 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 but then they don't make them for kids anymore, which is, I think, part of the problem. I think I think adults kind of realize that life is uh, is hard to change things. It's kind of futile. So if you're giving it for an adult, maybe they want to re- relate to it, you know, whereas kids actually are naive enough to think that, you know, they can change the world. And I, can, I don't know, but that was, that was one thing that, I hope they do in the later installments of this is that they actually have him effect some kind of let's like not just give people inspiration, but everything stay stay disgusting and um, run down. But I hope they actually have it uh, changed for the better, at least by the time they're done with this um, series of movies. Like I hope they don't do what they do in the modern comics where it's like, everything is pretty much as bad as when he first showed up, except now he's patrolling the streets. Yeah. Like, okay. You know, one of the, um, one of the, um, uh, one of the, the problems that people have had with Dragon Ball Z is that, uh, like there's always just this scaling up of the strength of enemies and that like the main characters, but particularly Goku has to like scale up his strength. So you go from, you know, a show that was like, you know, like an adventurous kind of like whimsical kid show. And, you know, uh, although like Goku would occasionally use his martial arts, um, like in the tournaments against Piccolo and so on, that like, you know, King Piccolo is like a, a strong character. Um, and his, you know, his, his, his power is that he flies and that he can take damage. Right. And then by the time you get to like Dragon Ball Super, you have characters that are capable of destroying entire galaxies. So there's always this like scaling up of power. And this is like, Okay, so at what point, like, does the do you stop upping the ante by increasing the enemy's power? Because now you've got these overpowered characters that are basically just gods. And I, I kind of feel like the same thing happens with the Batman films. Is like, how how dark can Gotham City get? Like, how deranged can this place be? And you're right. Like, why would you want to be there? Like, well, what is what is keeping you attached to this place? 
So it's like how like how evil can one city be? And it must have a really good job. Like, yeah, well, obviously not because there's so much fucking crime and unemployment there. But like, it it, it started off like you know grim in the 1980s with um you know with uh, with Tim Burton's Batman, but it's just gotten worse ever since. It's, with, with the you know the one exception of Joel Schumacher, um, and even then it was still crime infested. But at least the crime was like I don't know flamboyant. Uh, but yeah, like every iteration of it, it just keeps getting worse and worse. And you, you see it come out in the villains as well. Like, you know, you have, uh, the Riddler, um, as like a mix between the killer from seven and the Zodiac killer and the Joker. And you and I talked about this, like rather than make the Joker a menacing character by, um, the contrast between his, like his clown, like appearance and his, you know, psychopathy and his, his like quickness to kill people. It's almost like after Heath Ledger's rendition of the Joker with his like facial scarring and everything, they just make the Joker more and more like hideous and like mangled. So it's not that it's not that um his like his acting is not doing the work. Like his his uh, sadistic streak and the contrast between how he dresses and how he looks. And how he behaves, like that's not doing the heavy lifting for the character. What's doing the heavy lifting is just like how hideous and scarred and frightening he looks. Yeah. Oh don't no no for sure. But I'll say even the Tim Burton Batman at the end, it ended with a happy ending. Like like everybody was celebrating in the streets, like the idea that things had gotten, you know, better. Uh and yeah, just just I don't feel that in a lot of these other versions. But uh hey Pedro, I didn't realize so many people were in the queue, so I'm going to jump to the queue. Um, by all means, uh, share your thoughts. Uh, <clears throat> good evening, Trevor and Q. Uh, hey, how so, you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, so the subject matter is Batman, so i just quickly like to mention... Uh, uh, I, you already talked about that just right now. You mentioned Tim Burton, Batman. That's my probably one of my top five favorite movies. Batman Returns with Danny DeVito as the Penguin, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, uh, also starring Christopher Walken and Michael Keaton. So basically, that's just the the perfect movie. I think Danny DeVito does a uh, an excellent excellent role as 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 Penguin Man. It's really 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 fantastic. So. That's yeah, I like, I like I like Prince's music too. Prince's music is a very underrated part of the movie. No, that was on the first one. The that was on the first with Jack Nicholson. Oh, you're talking about the second one specifically. I think you're talking about both of them. You're talking specifically just the second one. Yeah, uh, yeah. I oh, was just... oh, oh, that's a bold take. You're saying that the second one you actually like even better than the first one. Yes, yes, yes. I, I oh, like... that's that's a hot take. I I, I wait, wait. Not, like I'm the second heard... Batman with uh, the Penguin and Catwoman, yes. like the better than. Yes, yes, yes. yes. That's I, a bold take. I, I, I could respect yeah. that. Yes, I, I like I, it. I don't that... agree, but I could see why he would think that. I could see it. Yeah, basically just because David DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer uh, characters, basically. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer, I think, really uh, killed it. I think the worst Catwoman to me was uh, Anne Hathaway. Like she just seemed, yeah. like, just, she just seemed kind of bitchy. Like she didn't really seem like sassy. I mean, Zoe Kravitz is not like the most charismatic actress to me, but 
she did at least try to be somewhat uh sultry and um um Anne Hathaway just seemed just like the bitch at work. Like there's somebody at your job who's just really annoying. <laughs> you know, but, but but she's doing it for feminist reasons. Like like she's she's being annoying because she thinks that's what makes like a like a strong woman. And so she never really seemed to want to be kind of to play like the give and take and the flirting, you know, with, with Batman. Like at the end they're just together as like a couple, but I'm like, I didn't even feel like they had any flirtation. She was just betraying him, chewing him out, you know, being unapologetic. Like, like she was never kind of willing to be kind of, to me, uh, soft or vulnerable enough to make any kind of chemistry happen. Not that I think Zoe Kravitz and Robert Patterson had a great amount of chemistry, but at least it was an attempt to kind of mix the strong with the soft and Zoe Kravitz. And, and I think Michelle Pfeiffer had that too. That I think Anne Hathaway, um, did not have that, but yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer is my favorite Catwoman. I would say, yes, for for sure, yes, it's just uh, amazing. Re- regarding the Anne Atway comment, uh, I cannot comment because uh, I stopped watching all Bat movies, Batman movies after the 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 fourth one. I guess I think so. I, I did. I stopped watching basically movies, basically. So yeah, that was it. Have a good night. Yeah, Thanks. thank you, Pedro. Mm-hmm. Take care. So, Owen, uh, you're up. Feel free to unmute. Hey, uh, Owen, so if you tap the microphone-shaped button in the lower right-hand corner of the screen, that'll unmute you. Uh, Did you want to move on to the next caller while Owen figures out the mic issue? Uh yeah yeah sure sure no problem. Um. Also, while we're waiting for the next caller, I was gonna say, and Owen, you can you feel free to come back up if you wanna try. Uh, I want to ask people: Do you still feel like these movies are even like necessary? This is a general question I want to ask everybody who comes up. Like, do you feel like um when you're watching this, this is something like you really like needed at this time in your life, or because cause that's kind of my struggle with these things, where even when they're okay or good i just feel like i'm a little just tapped out on these movies in general with batman movies uh specifically like 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 do you think you got anything out of this you couldn't get from just rewatching a bunch of um old animated stuff and old live actions what's up guys uh <clears throat> i joined around like uh 6 30 like uh you know, California time. So I don't know if you guys already talked about this, but I just wanted to say, you know, what I already repeated in the comments, you know, let's, let's call the Batman what it was, man. It was a remake of seven with the nigga in the bat suit. And the, in the third act had a little superhero, like big ending, you know, with the, with the explosions and shit like that. But it Real really, talk. it really was just a, a, a very much a, a reiteration, just a rehashing of, of, of David Fincher's films. And that's why I've been noticing with a lot of superhero films and the whole genre lately is just, it's all rehashes. It's like, when it comes to Marvel, it's all rehashes of, of the, of the original Iron Man movie, you know, 
literally all rehashes that same but, form. But, but, but you know what? At least Marvel's rehashing themselves, so it's still a rehash. But at least it's a rehash of their own formula, so you can call it a house style. But I know what you mean. The Joker, the Joker one was just pure Martin Scorsese. But that's what I was just gonna say. That's what I was just gonna get into. Like, whereas Marvel is like, it's like you said, they're rehashing themselves. DC is like. Just taking all these classic movies, these cri- these critically acclaimed movies, and just putting superhero skins on them, you know. And I, I just, you know, and and it just it pales for the genre to just really see it as nothing. Nothing. It seems like nothing original is ever finna come out of there, you know. It's all just rehashes of better stuff, you know. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I thought that we were Logan too. Like Logan was just yeah. uh, Shane, Shane or the outlaw Josie Wales. Like that's a exactly like played out western type of movie yeah, so, so they're all either just uh rehashes of like classic movies or self-parody but yeah yeah, that, yeah. that's that's kind of what i was feeling myself yeah yeah no no i completely agree with you and i and uh you know and and just to just to address some of your other points guys um you know when it comes to like gotham being like this ridiculous hellhole you know it's really not far off from like how the media makes like New York, Chicago, SF, and LA seem like, like, like literally, like the new, like the mainstream media makes them shit seem like even safer than what the movies portray at Gotham, and uh, and just just at your last point, um, when it seems like you know, like, like, do we really need these movies? Like, even though, even though, like, even though I, I, I I'm very critical of them, you know, they they're your average run the mill uh action films, you know, like. Like I need them as much as I needed Commando, you know, as much as I needed Cobra, or, or you know, or any of those, any of those throwaway action movies, you know. And uh, and, and and that's just my two cents on it. Thanks so much. Appreciate that, Meech. Uh, we're gonna move on to Nathan, but everybody's free to start their own topic or reply to what the previous callers said. So yeah, yeah. But by all means, Nathan, just unmute. All right, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you doing? All right, I'm doing well this evening. How are you guys doing this evening? Pretty good. Okay. Um, my take on it, so I like the movie. I I really did because I I hear everyone's criticisms on it, but my take is that it was it reminded me of the old series back in the '90s, Legends of the Dark Knight, where it was always uh detective story in a way like maybe a one-off detective story and they just focus on him solving the case versus batman going in there guns blazing so that's that's one aspect i like about it um only other thing i can say big criticism is it was maybe it was too long it was too long so i and i'm on the if we need these movies no but they're fun I mean, that's all I can say. It's, it's fun to okay. Okay, let me let me rephrase the question. Do we need this many? Because cause, yeah, I think do we need the movie is a different question oh. than do we need do we need this this many? Because I feel like uh, actually to be fair, Marvel has slowed it down and so did DC. So nowadays it's not as bad. Like, like I think if I think if Justice League and that whole Snyderverse was successful. We'd have really got a, gotten flooded, but they um, cut down, and then COVID kind of um, cut cut down Marvel's output. But before those two things happened, the flop of the Snyderverse and 
COVID, we were getting like a lot, a lot, a lot of movies. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, yeah, I think the it getting cut down that did help because there, I think there would have been a bigger burnout than the way there is now. But yeah, I. But uh, it would be. It, I I think the previous caller made a point of seeing different stories. I think it would be great to see different stories as well. Be portrayed. Yeah, I maybe. Mean, I, think, I, think, I think Disney I'm, Plus isn't helping because because there's a lot of those those series. No one remembers them after they're done. Like I feel like they come out and then people just kind of move on. I I haven't been watching those things, but. If anybody has, I'm curious if they've been finding those enjoyable. Uh the few I've seen, they're they're pretty good. They're they're different, but like you said, it's like one and done. Like you watch it one time, it's like okay, that was nice, but then you go on the next thing. I think kinda, that's I, what they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. You'd say, yeah, and I think that's what they're banking on because then when the, when that's over, you're waiting for the next series mm. tie-in. So. Okay, Nathan, okay, Nathan thanks. thanks. You're welcome. We have a, we we have have a lot of people in the queue, so I'm just going to move on. Okay. All right, be good. You too. Uh, hey, Owen, we're going to give it another try. Hey, can uh, y'all hear me? Uh, there we go. Yeah, we can hear you. All right, cool, cool, cool. I just wanted to hit on uh, basically like like the main topic y'all were talking about and uh, like the state of superhero movies in general. And I want to go back to I think I don't know if it was your point, Trevor, or how about uh, how Zack Snyder's and also uh, Christopher Nolan's movies kind of change things because I think uh, superheroes right now, or they've always been since uh, honestly nine eleven, have just been like super cops, and how like in the uh, in that Zack Snyder Superman movie, he was basically just like there was just a big depiction of nine eleven in that movie and I feel like Batman nowadays is it I feel like what uh Trevor how you were saying before is there going to be some point when Gotham City is going to be better and I feel like the whole point of them making Batman movies is to just so show someone over and over again who's just quote unquote standing up to the uh super predators or super criminals who can't be like taken down by like a regular police officer and they kind of like need, uh, like society. The films are saying like society needs like these type of people to stand up outside of the law in order for things to like be safe for the 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 regular people in society. And I feel like I don't know. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I don't know. But do you feel the regular people are safe in in Gotham? Like I feel like um. I mean, I guess he saves people, but he doesn't save to me that many rich people. people are safe. Like, Most of the rich yeah, people are safe. Yeah, I guess, I guess. But I mean, the Joker, for example, kills so many people now between the times he's captured. So it's like, I feel like you know, before Joker could go years without killing somebody because Batman was so good at his job in like the old comics. But I think that's considered corny now. So he has to get out, kill like a small nation worth of people, then Batman like beats him up and puts him back in. And then he's out the next month, and he just killed like another, 
three dozen people. So it's like it's yeah. I mean, I mean, how safe are the rich people really? I mean, in in this movie, the the, the mayor the mayor died, and these other rich people died. Like, but you also have to remember in the movie, the first people to get like placement in that last building before the flood started were all of the richer people in the society, including the mayors and everything like that. And the last people to come in to the doors was like everybody else. And that was kind of like the Riddler's plan to get all the rich people in there first to make them think they were safe just so he could shoot them. But what he didn't figure out was, or I guess figure out in time was Batman would be able to figure out the whole like uh, map under his carpet thing. So that kind of ruined his plans. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that the rich people fare better than the poor people. Even though I think at the end, he's not really great for helping either, but I do agree. He does definitely help the rich people uh, better. But one thing I will add too, because uh, you just remind me of something, and um, I thought his detective work was pretty bad. Like, like I was kind of glad they made a detective story, but I was also kind of shocked at what a dumb detective in a way it was, it was entertaining to see how dumb he was. Like, like he can't even conjugate Spanish, and the and the and the penguin has to tell him, and both him and uh, Commissioner Commissioner Gordon look at each other and like, huh? and then like, he's like, you guys suck, and then like he actually says what I was thinking on the penguin. He actually put it in the script that they suck at solving crimes, and I like when he's in uh, in that apartment, the Riddler's apartment, and then the cop tells him, hey, that's a carpenter tool. I used to use that, you know, back in the day. And Batman's like, a carpenter tool? It's like, dude, what do you think that was? Like, you were in that apartment for an hour. Like, you don't have, yeah. have Google images? Like, what? Like, how How do you need these regular people to just tell you the basic stuff? He's like, oh, a carpenter tool. Oh, let me clear. This takes care of carpets. <laughs> I was like, this guy I is think... the best. He's, he's, he's a big himbo. I'm like, this is a himbo Batman. And I'm, I'm here for it. I, I liked it. Yeah, I he, think like, this kind of like the things uh, that he wouldn't normally, the things that he wouldn't normally be introduced to by Alfred. Like, I guess Alfred taught him to fight in the movie, but you know, uh, and maybe Alfred taught him how to work on vehicles, which is how he, he customized the Batmobile. But anything that would be relegated to like, you know, like simple servant duties, like what the uh, the cleaning staff at the the Wayne Tower would do, he wouldn't know anything about that. He didn't talk to them people. That'd be great to put the classism into the plot. Like he's like. Oh, I thought only poor speak Spanish, so I never, I never learned it. You know, it just, it just goes around just being really classist, like a carpenter tool. What's, uh, what's that? You know, I just thought yeah, things I, just, just bought. I agree with that. I do agree with that because I feel like the one thing, like specifically Batman movies, are missing because they are, I guess, associated with or try to talk about, like, uh, I guess. The, the function of how this bad, quote-unquote, bad cities work and uh, what you can do, what you personally can do to stop it and whether or not you can do anything to stop it. And I feel like uh, people's obsession with Batman kind of reminds me of their obsession with, like, rich billionaires like Elon Musk or other, like, rich people who, like, give billions of dollars to, like, some charity or some fund without actually fixing anything and just using that as like a tax write-off so i feel like it's people's wanting or need or like i guess like psychological need or something like that for someone to come save them because they have more money and they're like a good rich person who actually works against the bad rich people yeah that's definitely a big fantasy these days for sure 
Yeah. Yeah, I think they should have Batman just be like the world's greatest detective, but with a huge blind spot for anything involving things that poor people take for granted. Like he's like, Alfred, so uh, a tomato costs twenty dollars, right? It's like, no, like what, what's what's wrong with you? <laughs> Don't you know what anything costs? Like yeah, that would just be a great Batman. He's just totally uh, dumb when it comes to just regular facts that regular people just know because they can they can return to that. Do you think on some level did that on purpose? I, am I giving Matt Reeves too much credit? Because that, that'd be funny if he did that on purpose. Just, just uh, Batman learned everything except like you know, regular things poor people take take for granted. No, I just think that's just like because uh, most directors are I don't know most directors these days come from rich families, and I I just feel like most of them are uh, how do I say economically adept. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe Matt Reeves himself thought that was a really deep fact, like you know, like like the, the stuff that he had Batman unable to figure out. I could totally, I could totally yeah. see it. And like um, how he had that Catwoman line where she was like, "It's just a bunch of rich white boys who own this city." Oh, and I was a like, bunch of privileged it, white like, men. Man, yeah, yeah. Kicked, I was like, I get it. Me Come right on. out of the story. That kicked me right out of the movie. You know how like movies occasionally have moments that just break the immersion for you? That was mine. I'm uh, like the thing, the, I'm the like, thing why, I didn't why like. Why did you? I'm like, why did you need to do that? Now I don't believe this is a movie anymore. Now I believe it was a writer's room that came up with this line, and someone was like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm totally gonna put this in there. She's gonna say it. You know what I mean? Like and it was, and, it was and, so bad. The thing I didn't like about it too was if you're gonna say that, and if she gets with Batman anyway, then then what's the point? Because there's no way she doesn't know Batman's not rich. There's no, no actually, way you can no, that, own that is. That is the realistic part, in fact. That is <laughs> how many times have we had conversations about these like these uh these these uh women of color that will like say all of this shit about white boys and then be with a white boy anyway? You know, it's like they they have this like they'll like they'll find a white guy that they're interested in, but they are self conscious about it. So rather than deal with their own racial hangups, they will like passive aggressively tease the white guy that they like about like oh well you know, privilege this and, and like, uh, you know, cis hetero patriarchy that, and it's like, but you're with the same people that you're fucking criticizing. You know, yeah, they, you know they just wanted to see those same words repeated back to them. Yeah. You know, you know, it made it even more realistic. They should have had her have a uh, stand-up act in the club instead of being, being a waitress. <laughs> and and, and she, she has like two dope queens type comedy. That would have just, just totally ooh, leaned, ooh. leaned into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know what? You know what? You know what? You know what's awful? You know, I, I had this boyfriend, and he made me go into my workplace with all these like dangerous criminals and shit. And when I asked <laughs> him, like, "Hey, do you care about my safety as a woman of color in a dangerous place with a bunch of white men?" He fucking ghosted me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be too funny. That'll be in part two when they show her on the road. And she's she's referring to the scenes in the first movie, yeah. And he switched his job over me, like you know, hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, thanks so much. We're gonna get yeah, to, thank uh, you, guys. Yeah, no problem. Take care. Uh, something else I will say before Corn Pop uh, speaks. I was disappointed in how easy the riddles were. Like, I, I'm not. I was looking at a rid, some riddle genius, and you know, when I'm solving all the riddles, uh. You know, it was like uh, like the one with like, like justice, and then 
they were the kind of riddles where when you solved them, they didn't actually tell you what the next crime was going to be. They kind of just um, told you why very... you committed the crime. Yeah, basically. And even then, they were like pretty general. The only ones that were hard for like the average person to get were ones that were very specific to the plot. Like, you know, like he gives something and he goes, that's referring to uh, an orphan. And when I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't actually work. It's the orphanage in Gotham. It's like, okay, so you have to actually know about Gotham geography to make that riddle mm-hmm. work. So yeah, I wasn't that crazy about the riddles. The riddles were kind yeah, of yeah, like the uh, the, the, the riddler the riddler's riddles in the comic books were like were as much for the reader's benefit as for like giving clues to Batman. So yeah, they were challenging. Like, uh, yeah, it's almost it's almost like um, if you're going to talk about like detective work, basically like the Riddler comics were almost like watching an episode of Columbo. It was like you know who did it, but you're trying to figure out how and why. You know what I mean? Like, the, the same way that, like, Columbo, uh, like, would follow uh, the person that he suspected of um, committing the, the murder or the crime or whatever, and you, the viewer, already knew who committed the crime. Like, they weren't coy about that. Uh, in Columbo, like, they would reveal um, who the killer was. So the the interesting game was for you, the viewer, to, to watch how Columbo would put the pieces together. So in, in in the Riddler comics, like that's something where I felt like they were breaking the fourth wall and trying to get you as engaged in the comic to try and do the the detective work mentally, the same as Batman was doing. But in this film, there was really none of that. Yeah, yeah. So so it's like you know, he said like you know, I could be cruel, poetic, or blind, and the answer was like justice. And I'm like, it can't be that easy. Maybe it's just a, a decoy. But then he's like, justice. It's like, oh my god, that was really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was really the riddle like are you, are you joking like i remember in the in the batman comics there was one uh riddle i forget which batman comic it was but it always stuck with me it's like what is the beginning of eternity what is at the beginning of eternity the end of time and space the beginning of every end and the end of every race you know it's like a rhyming riddle and then the answer is the the letter e and you know because at the beginning of the word eternity is the letter e mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. end of time and spaces i'm like oh wow that's a really clever riddle and stuff and there was no riddles like that in this one the riddles were just kind of like you know what's black and white and red all over you know it's, it's, <laughs> it's really it's really bad and by all means corn pops feel free to unmute hey can you hear me all right uh yes 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 Okay. Okay. Hey. Um. Yeah. So I actually didn't watch uh, the new Batman movie. I was gonna watch it next week. Um. When I had you know all that time to kill, but um. Yeah. I just wanted to comment on you know the whole uh issue of you know if the Batman movies or just superhero movies in general too much. I tend to think it is. Um. You know, just with the whole Marvel thing and all the Marvel shows. I, I don't know if that also counts within it. I, I kind of include that as well. Um, but I just kind of wanted to ask you guys like some questions that I was thinking about um, just to hear your takes on that. So um, I was actually watching for some strange reason, the whole um, Hunger Games series. Well, not like intentionally, I just had it on in the background. And I remember like in the kind of like when the first Hunger Game came, you know, came out, 2011, 2012, there was like this whole thing about these young adult um, novels being made into movies. So I just wanted to ask you guys, do you think that the whole like superhero, you know, thing kind of killed that whole trend of it or did that kind of kill itself or because from what I 
currency now you don't really hear about as much as like these whole young, young adult novels being made into movies. But you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. That's a great question. I mean, they had a couple of flops like that. That one with Shailene Woodley, Woodley oh, that version. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, yeah, and, and and a couple of those came out, but nobody talked about them. I feel like that was the flop that might have. I mean, in addition to what you're saying, the superhero ones, that was the one where after it came out, I didn't see a lot of people talk about it, and there were a few more. Um, that that came. Yeah, it was out. like The Giver. Um, there was. Um, I can't remember anything else, but well, and there was that also whole that whole I, I think it was the Percy Jackson one, but I don't know if that's like really counts in, in that. But there was there was several of those, and I I was just I'm thinking, you know, I I was watching this, I'm like, well, you know, what happened to all this? And you know, I thought about it at the time. Well, you had the first Avengers that kind of came out, and then you know the subsequent Avengers movies. So I was just thinking maybe it had a role in kind of like killing well, that whole thing. Well, well, why a movies kept um happening but they switched to like things that are more like the hate you give like, like basically uh, uh, uh nicholas sparks for young adults so i've seen like some recent ones that did okay or that are coming out but they all seem to be more in the romance category um but but let me ask you guys this chaos walking uh that's one with tom tom holland and daisy ridley was that one based on a ya because that one kind of had that Hunger Games, he kind of looked to me in the. But I don't know if it was based on that. Uh, I I don't think it was. Um, I don't remember any. I don't remember any on. Um, hmm. Book series on that. No, that's not true. That is absolutely not true. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Um. I forget the name of the series. Because you got my wheels turning. No, it actually is based on. Uh, it is based on a, a science fiction series. I just don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Okay, yeah, because it had that kind of feel. It kind of had that feeling to me, like it was something based on a popular. Oh, actually, yeah, yeah. I look. Um, it is a young adult science fiction series by by a British person. So that that one came, I think, two thousand twenty one. And that one, I think, also flops. So I, I just think these things are are kind of flopping. But like a, but lot of these, a lot of these YA, a lot of these YA stories are just utter trash. Like, <laughs> let's be perfectly honest. Like the ones that yeah. sell well, um, the yeah, the ones that that seem to sell well don't really do well in the theater because they're underdeveloped garbage. Like the divergence. Mm. Like I don't know. I don't know if you've read the the diversion book, but they're they're just they're god awful. They're terrible. And I think okay. I know the movie was just terrible. Like that that whole uh, I forgot that actor's name that looked like Macklemore at the time. And I was just like, what's what's going on in this movie? Um, what was his name? He kind of looked like I forgot the actor's name, but he was kind of had the he, he he just I don't know when I saw that the like years ago I'm like oh man I didn't realize they had Macklemore in this movie, but it was just, it was just kinda, Theo Theo James looked like Macklemore. In the original, or or, or or Jai Courtney, what was this guy's name? I can't really remember. Um... Oh wow! Real quick, Chaos Walking grossed twenty-seven million worldwide. It gets a hundred million budget. Oh my wow. gosh! It resulted in a write-down. That means they wrote it down. They wrote it off under taxes for for Liongate. <laughs> it became a, ta- a, a, a tax a tax. But break I mean, like it's it was it was just an objectively terrible movie. Like it's it's it was like it kind of seemed like um 
You ever have? You ever? Uh, you ever? Wait, uh, I talking about Chaos Walking or Divergent? We say it's a terrible movie. Chaos Walking. You ever? Oh, oh so, like so, so you saw it? Okay. Yeah, Chaos Walking seemed almost like um, uh, like a writing challenge where somebody gives you a prompt and then you're supposed to write like uh, I don't know, like um, uh, like a two thousand word story off of it. So it seemed like um, a bunch of people had gotten different or gotten the same prompts, but then wrote different screenplays mm. off of the single prompt, and then they just mashed them all together. Wow, and Doug and Doug Lehman uh, directed it, and he's got some. He's got some. Um, yeah, Doug Lehman uh, did the the Bourne movies. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he did. He did the first. He did the first Bourne movie, and he did um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is I thought was a good brainless action movie. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Oh, he did Go. It's one of my uh, uh, favorite movies. Yeah, but wow. I mean, getting yeah. back to getting back to this one, there's, there's actually something that's um, and I, I I actually had this critique of the Batman, um, like when I when I saw it in the theater, and I was actually really upset that uh, a YouTuber whose channel I really like, I like, I discovered his channel just because of this critique of the Batman, and that was that like. Um, Matt Reeves tries to counter the um, Frank Miller influence, but he doesn't counter it with a critique of the actual system. If anything, what he does is like he critiques police violence, he critiques corruption, he critiques like systemic oppression and all that stuff. But then he, um, the like the 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 ending message is well, just have faith in the system because if you put good people in charge of the system then it can fix things so it's like the corrupt mayor is replaced by this like you know this uh black woman candidate who then ends up becoming mayor and she like offers this message of hope to the city um you know the the hope the the woefully corrupt police force uh that was like basically <clears throat> that were basically pigs at the trough and operating in in cahoots with these crime bosses well led by detective gordon um, there's all these like good police officers that I'm not exactly, exactly sure where they showed up from because in the scene where like he was in the the police precinct and then had to escape from there, I distinctly recall all the cops in the building shooting at him. So it's like, all right, so where were the good ones? Well, they, they all showed up like um, outside the nightclub to arrest um, to arrest Comrade Falcone. Um, all of these like uh, um, incels and January 6th insurrectionists. Uh, you know, showed up for the Riddler to uh, to shoot at the mayor and all these innocent civilians. And it was like, all right, so the Riddler had a fairly good reason to hate systemic oppression in Gotham and to hate the Wayne family, et cetera. And rather than contend with what he's saying about, like, you know, how poor people in the city are treated, you basically treat him like an incel and all these, like, you know, middle class white dudes that can afford that kind of sophisticated weaponry, um, they're the ones that respond to his call. But the poor people and the oppressed people, well, they just have to have hope in the system. So it's like, you have this like really convoluted message where they, they do the sort of BLM thing where they can, they can critique vague ideas and vague notions like systems and hierarchy and oppression and patriarchy and white privilege, just that and the third. But when it comes to like naming specific um, malefactors, and like critiquing how the system is created and naming enemies, you can't exactly do that. You just basically have to sit back and hope that the system's going to get better.
I think the problem is you can't really have a long-standing type of Batman type movie and sincerely criticize the system because I think it just like I think it works for something like Watchmen because Watchmen had to make the heroes um really fallible and messed up and then it ends. But if you're gonna have it open ended, if you have at some point, I think you just have to have some type of apologism for fascism um, built into it, or it's just not going to work. That's why I, I kind of worry about them even trying to do real-world critique in a superhero movie, if you're planning to keep it open-ended and have the hero end up being good, because I just think it doesn't... Like, I think it only works if you won't just let the superheroes just implode totally, like like Watchmen. Yeah. I think it's a big problem that has happens in modern superhero comics, where they want to have the deconstruction of something like Watchmen, but still have the institution of superheroing redeemed at the end of it. And I think it ends up in that weird cake, try to have your cake or eat it too. It's kind of cop movies. Like, even though I think, you know, uh, cops in general are a bad institution, I still watch cop movies and I just pretend that they take place in a world. Um, let's meet Corn Pop real quick. Uh, yeah, like, it's better that it take place in a world where cops happen to be good or there happens to be good cops. I just suspend my disbelief. But if you were to have a cop movie where you get too realistic, you know, like Serpico, but how bad cops are, but then at the end have Serpico save the day like Sylvester Stallone, it would just be kind of weird to me. It almost would kind of redeem the institution as savable, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I'm not, uh, I don't know, like, I'm not saying that to knock the movie. I just think that that's a kind of analysis that um, it's like, it's, it's kind of already existing in Hollywood. Uh, I, I call it asymptotic analysis where you can get very close to the point, but you can never actually touch on the point. Like you swerve away at the last second, the way that like an asymptote on a graph, like gets towards a point and then like veers upwards. It never actually touches, like it never intersects with the point. So like, yeah. Uh, I actually agree with it as a as a critique of the movie. Like 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 I think they just shouldn't bother to even try to critique real world stuff because because of what you said that they they're not gonna go all the way. So don't even I think try it. Yeah, and I don't know. It's like like so I'm like all right. So the detective work was <laughs> the, the detective work was kind of bumbling. Like he didn't actually. He didn't actually solve like he solved the riddles, but he didn't actually get ahead of the riddler at any point. He was he was basically being led from one point to the another. Another. Yeah, he was always movie. reacting. Yeah, he was always. Reacting. Yeah, there was no there was no there was no proactive moves on his part. Like he never actually got ahead of the riddler and put him back on his heels. Um, the fight scenes were, I don't know, like they were just bland and uninspired. And I'm like, you had this many years to learn from Christopher Nolan's mistakes, and you see what it is that audiences actually like in terms of. Um, Batman engaging in action, like they they like to see him get the drop on enemies. Um, that he doesn't just like, and and you know I talked about this as well. It used to be that um, his main uh, capabilities were stealth and in close fighting, like catching people by surprise and overwhelming them with like a flurry of blows and being able to take on multiple enemies, not because he's like super strong but because he's able to position himself in such a way that it's hard for people to hit him like he'll just like in the arkham games he would like dodge and weave his way around enemies so that like when you like you go to hit him but then he's like grabbed 
your friend and like thrown your friend in front of your fist and you end up hitting him instead. And then like you try to like take an edge weapon to him and he disarms you. Like but in the film, he's he's tanking gunshots. Like he's just walking through a storm of bullets and his suit is tanking all of them. And like that's just not how Batman oh, looks. So Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. He was taking a lot of hits and he wasn't even trying to dodge them. No, he's just walking right through them. Like people are firing guns at him point blank, and he's just like it doesn't even slow him down. Um, and then like uh, in in what if what I think has become an, a trend in Western action movies, I think they really um, learned from their Hong Kong and Chinese counterparts is that people actually, uh, if you're gonna ground an action movie, it actually is more relatable when you're any like when your heroes take damage, like. If they're fighting a bunch of people and they're taking hits, like the hits hurt, like somebody might like get hit in the side and crack a rib, and then they're favoring that side, or they get hit in the face and like you know their face is bloody or something like that. But like in that movie um, with Bob Odenkirk, nobody like he was taking damage all throughout that movie, and his 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 wounds didn't heal up quickly. Like uh, um, when he when he got stabbed on the bus, like he was still fighting throughout the rest of that movie favoring this this spot in his abdomen where he got stabbed so like the the scenes the, the fight scenes in the batman weren't really doing it either they didn't really take any of those lessons that i think western filmmakers would do well to adapt and then uh the the thematic elements of the story were also i don't know kind of bland like it's like yeah i understand that this is a corrupt city and that cops are in on the action and all that but if there's any sort of analog to real life what you're saying is we just have to sit back and hope that we elect the right people or the right people are chosen for positions that are going to clean up these institutions when the problem is the institutions themselves so i mean i really wanted to like this movie but overall especially in retrospect i'm like i can't believe i spent three hours just for that um, but, uh, you know, the, the scene where the Batmobile starts up, that was pretty fucking awesome. Um, and then when he was, a lot of people said they really loved the Batmobile, um, the, the car chase scene. And I'm like, what do you think you were watching? Because it, again, just like the fight scenes where you can hardly tell where the people are in relation to one another and who's hitting who, I couldn't tell throughout that scene where the Batmobile was in relation to the penguin, uh, the penguin's car. Like it was, yeah. I felt the same was, way. The yeah. the revving up was so good, and I thought they're gonna have some incredible driving. And once the revving up was done, and they actually started the fight scene, it was just a lot of red and a lot of um, blurry stuff that just didn't really make spatial sense to me. It's like there's a really good movie um, with Robert De Niro called Ronin. I'm not sure if you've seen that one. Uh, like, no, uh, no, I didn't see that. Oh, actually, no, no, I, I, I didn't see that one. He, he was he was a, a thief, right? Yeah, it's like a high school yeah, yeah, movie it. It with like Sean Bean and uh, Natasha McElhone and, and a few other people. But that has like one of the best car chase scenes I think I've ever seen. And Ronan came out in the, I want to say like the late 90s, right? So if like, if, <laughs> excuse me, if they can do a really good car chase scene where like the stakes are all there, you know, you, you've like car- got these cars like weaving in and out of traffic. They're pulling off these amazing like evasive moves. And like doing these, like uh, these, like there was this one part where uh, um, De Niro and his like his his heist colleagues are in this car, and they're like trying to escape from a bunch of people that are chasing them for this MacGuffin. And uh, 
he's like driving like fast downhill. I think they're in Rome where this is happening. He's like driving fast downhill and he's heading up to this like T intersection. And um, he's driving so fast that he can't just like stop and then make a left turn. So he pulls the emergency brake and the car just like throws itself into a power slide around the turn. I'm like, that was fucking amazing. Like somebody actually, you could tell that they had like some of the most talented stunt drivers on earth to pull off this scene. And it's like, if they can do that in the mid nineties, there's no reason why they can't do that right now. I totally, I totally agree. I mean, there was no need for that car chase to not be, not be better. Uh, I mean, look at Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, that's reason. And they did such great um, driving, driving scenes with that. That car chase scene could have been much better, but I want to see if Corn Pops has anything else to um, add. And if not, we'll move on to Jim. And we're going to end it with uh, Jasper. Um, no, it was just more of a, a, just another kind of question um, that I was kind of thinking about when I was thinking about, like, my consumption habits and what I actually kind of, like, watch. You know, I unfortunately still watch a lot of, you know, these movies and also – some of the, you know, Marvel TV shows, not out of any kind of like joy or anything like that, or that I really like it. I'm just, I, I can't really describe it. So I, I'm kind of wondering what do you guys maybe think it says about, I was trying to think about what it means for me um, specifically like an adult to be kind of like continuously like watching some of these things. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of it originally was meant meant for children, but now it's clearly like, you know, get, you know, geared for people older. So do you think it says something more about like society or just like an individual level? Like it, it's, you know, I, 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 you know, the other night I was just thinking, I'm like, wait a minute, like, you know, I'm just going through all like I watch on, on Netflix or on Hulu or, you know, Amazon prime, all that stuff. It's just like, well, uh, this based on like superhero movies, super, something adjacent to that, you know, kind of like star Wars stuff. And it's, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's just like, you know, I feel like a, I don't want to say like a man child or anything like that, but it's just all this stuff just keeps coming at you. And it's like, well, I mean, you can choose not to watch it, but I don't know. I don't really know what it really, you know, kind of like might mean. Uh, Q, do you want to take that one? Because I feel like I've been. Mm. Can you repeat the question? Oh, yeah. I mean, do you think that basically all this media around superhero movies, like these franchises that are clearly gauged for, you know, intended for children originally, but now a lot of it is kind of more for adults. Do you think it says anything more like on a larger aspect about, you know, our society that, you know, you have adults and I would include myself on this? I don't Yeah, the reason I'm being careful with this is because, like, I, I don't know, like, yeah, comic books did start off as a medium for children, but then so did all, like, all popular fiction in a way um, starts off as a medium for children that eventually becomes a medium that adults can uh, enjoy for themselves. Um, and think of, like, <clears throat> I don't know, think of, like, all all stories that we actually remember, like, as human beings, like, all of them include fantastic elements, right? So if you think of like, I don't know, Aesop's fables, or if you think of like, uh, I don't know, like the story of King Midas or um, 
the Odyssey or or any of that. Like these are all essentially like fantastic stories, and they all they all include elements of like I don't know superpowers or magic or some sort of like supernatural elements, and th like these are all the most memorable stories in throughout human history. So I want to be really careful about saying that like superhero stories or comic books or whatever are for children because I don't I don't know if they necessarily are. Um I think that telling a story through a visual medium will most easily lend itself uh to like telling stories for kids. And that's where a lot of like artists get their start is uh I mean artists and writers get their start um writing stories for young people or illustrating for young people. And then as they develop their styles, um, they generally will will get more mature or they stay writing for children or so on. But I don't know that like appealing to age is like, I don't know that you can really like make a distinctive line between a story for a child and a story for adult where like comic books are concerned. Because that's like, that's how we've been telling each other stories for like throughout our entire existence. And I also don't think that like, um, I don't really believe in such a thing as a superhero genre. I think that's a bit of a mistake. I think that you can use adapted material from comic books and you can use superheroes to tell certain kinds of stories. You can have action superhero stories. You can have crime drama superhero stories. You can have political thriller superhero stories. Like There's endless possibilities because all of those genres really have been explored in comic books. I think what actually makes like what what people are experiencing fatigue about is a particular formula that all of these stories are processed through so like hellboy is not supposed to be a i don't know like a, a heroic superhero movie hellboy is somewhere between like occultist fantasy and hard-boiled detective work um like shang chi is not supposed to be a superhero story either Shang-Chi is supposed to be like a, like a, I don't know, like a, a pulpy martial arts flick, right? Like there, the, there aren't supposed to be world ending stakes in a Shang-Chi movie. Um, it, it, it was written in reflection to Shaw Brothers movies from the 1970s. Uh, even like, um, I think probably like the, the one uh, superhero film that pulled off, I'm trying to be a genre uh, piece rather than just a superhero movie would be Captain America the Winter Soldier um, because when Captain America became nomad um, that is like you know he uh, threw away his shield and thought to be Captain America um, that was more along the lines of political thriller and I think that Winter Soldier captured that essence where because like you know Captain America as nomad happened during the I want to say it was the Reagan years, wasn't it? Or was it was it the yeah, it was the Reagan years. No, it happened shortly so, after. I think Ford was in office. It happened shortly no, you're right, after you're right, you're right, after yeah. Nixon. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're right. Yeah, but it was in response to like political crisis and the loss of um, faith in U.S. political institutions. And I think that that's what uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier did. Uh, I'm not like you know I don't think it's like the perfect political thriller movie, but I thought I thought it did include a lot of elements that you would see from like. I don't know, like uh, Tom Clancy movies. So I, I don't know that um, the problem is is that we're adapting material that's meant for children. I think it's because 
um, the studios in charge of making these movies have a system that they believe worked and just processed every single movie produced through that exact same system um, and failed to differentiate any of these movies from one another. Yeah, I I feel very different, but it's uh, I feel like it's gonna be too long to get into all the ways I feel different. Uh, but I guess I would say first, I think superhero. Oh shit! Shout out to yeah, shout out to Teen Teen's in the room. Oh yeah, yeah, Teen's team, in the room. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like uh, superhero really is a, is a genre of its own. Uh, and I think when you try it too hard to make it into something else, that's actually when I don't like them that much. I don't like when they try to make it like it's not just a superhero movie. It's actually a western or is this and that? Because I think at the oh, end of the but day, like, there there are like there are western comic books like uh, Jonah Hex is a western comic book. There's um, like horror comic books like um, the Darkhold Redeemers. Like that was always meant to be a cult and horror, and that's where like now that's where Blade came up from. So like there's uh, and yeah, but at the that, end they're Swamp, always superheroes. Also supposed to be, but, yeah, yeah, but, but it's like but, but but by the end like Superman will show up in it or something. Like I, I feel like it's a superhero stuff with some of this added to it. Like like I think they're related to a lot of things. Like I think they're like a cousin of this or a cousin of that. Like 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 Batman is basically uh, the shadow. You know the the I, pulp I think hero. That's, I think a lot of that is a product of. Um, massive crossover events that you started to see happening throughout like the 80s 90s and 2000s where because like so like even though all of these stories are occurring within the same uh like the same canonical universe there's different stories and they're mostly held off in silos so like even though let's say like uh wolverine which was um a bit of a like i don't know like uh a like a Ronin type of comic book, like a, you know, like a, a lone warrior, even though in the X-Men comic books, Wolverine might've been present in the Wolverine comic books. He didn't necessarily follow the same continuity as X-Men. So he could be off doing something completely different in the Wolverine comics as he was doing from X-Men. But I remember in the, um, in the Bastion storyline uh, in the mid, no, early 2000s, uh, they had, like some of no, this was actually no, this is before the death. This, yeah, uh, this is when um, Master Mold and uh, and Nimrod had merged into a single character named Bastion. I think it was the late 90s, but like there were um, parts where if you were reading the X Men comic books, you weren't necessarily getting the whole story. So there was like a side story that you had to read the Wolverine comic for, and it's like, like, the why am I having to pick up? four or five or six different comics just to get a sense of the same narrative why can't it just be contained within one comic book line and i think that was a product of like the late 90s um so like merging all of the genres into one sort of like a gray stoop where even though like swamp thing um might exist in the same universe as superman in like the 1970s and 80s swamp thing was just sort of like a uh like a like a southern gothic kind of tale and then towards like the 90s and 2000s, Swamp Thing is just like another, you know, character in the large and largely faceless assemblage of DC superheroes, if that makes any sense. I feel like in the 80s and 90s, like they got really self-conscious about being comics for kids and, and all that. And they started trying to make them lean into other stuff 
more. So, like, I do agree with you, like, the 80s and 90s to try to make it, like, hey, this is not a superhero movie. It's really horror. And I, I think that happened, but I think it lost something. Like, I I, I think they're kind of in denial. Like, I think if people really, really wanted gothic horror, they would read Lovecraft. If you're choosing Swamp Thing over, like, you know, the old school horror, it's kind of because you want to read a superhero comic, but, that's like, but you want to feel the, okay. History you want to feel okay for... No, I mean, the old, the old stuff was just, you know, junk. It was no, it was the good old junk. stuff was like, like what comic books evolved from was like the old Penny Dreadfuls. Like, you know, just like these uh, cheap, schlocky um, horror and fantasy and what, like, they were, you know, stories that, because they weren't comic book stories, it was just like, you could either um, read a book, like a, you know, like, like, you could read a long, like, 250, 300 page book. But because books were so expensive, not everybody had access to them. <clears throat> so what you as a horror person would do instead was like buy Penny Dreadfuls. Um, and th- th- to me, that's where like that's where comic books have their like that's where they draw their their history from. Oh and yeah, I totally agree with that. I agree with that. But the comics themselves were for kids. The comics were like a kid's version of like that stuff. Like the kids, you know, wouldn't read that stuff, but they'd read this cruder, you know. I mean, I think they were very much for kids. Like, the average reader of a comic was, like, under 10 years old back in the days, and they sold millions, and I think they're better and more visceral like that. Like, I think when you make them too much for grown-ups, they kind of lose something. They just become... Because, like, for example, something like Batman or something like the movie The Joker, it's never going to be as good an adult movie as... um the t- taxi driver or the king of comedy like like to me it's just gonna become a dumbed down scorsese movie if you try to make it fit into the joker but i think if you use the joker to tell a batshit crazy kid story it works much much better like I've, like when i watched the the joker by uh the guy who created the hangover i got to wonder like what is it as a society that we as adults needed to give up taxi driver for the joker version of the taxi driver like, like 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 why did we need to make this about batman and the joker to enjoy the same story and in that way i kind of agree with corn pops i think there is some kind of failure to launch there or something like i there's something there that i just think is weird and and i, I would think, just i think it... what it is i think what it is is mm-hmm. that um a lot of i mean i i think it's part of what i referred to before which is like the studio system that has just like like pulped all of these movies of their originality and run them through the lens of nostalgia, but I think it's also that like like telling an original story or having an original spin on a story, it, they don't hire, and I don't want to like you know knock on writers because writing is probably like the least, um, it's one of the most thankless um, professions in Hollywood, and they're some of the people that have the, the least amount of power, but. I just kind of feel like the stories that are being written, and these aren't necessarily decided by the writers. They're generally decided by uh, producers and, and directors, and they accept the the script that makes sense for what their vision ends up being. But um, it's that they're not willing to uh, offer like modernized takes or original storytelling. I'm thinking like one of my one of my favorite movies actually is um, the uh, the remake of Three Ten to Yuma. And even though there are many of the elements that are the same, there's a 
thematic spin that's complete like the the theme i think is is very much different than the original um the theme of 310 to yuma like aside from being redemption it's also um like uh uh it's also um it has a lot to do with family and and legacy like you know how what do you want your children to think of you so like there's these characters that like uh, there's you know the 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 villain of the story has this traumatic experience with his parents and then the protagonist of the story is undergoing a traumatic experience with his son like as the story progresses and it's like um creating uh themes like that that people can relate to through original storytelling is it's almost like a lost art and you're seeing a lot of these remakes that seem familiar with movies like you know uh seven and uh the uh, taxi driver and the king of comedy etc because uh these studios are leaning so heavily on nostalgia that they're afraid to take to take risks and tell new stories but but it's like i feel like you could remake that stuff and just remake it but it's still an adult thing but when you remake 310 to yuma but this time we're going to do it with jedi that's the part that i think is strange like there's this kind of weird thing where i think before you used to read comics as a kid or whatever and then you moved on to something else and you left them for uh your little brother or your kids but at some point some generation decided we just don't want to give up on our toys we're just gonna keep aging the toys up with us and i'm not fully sure what it means but i think there is something about a larger failure to launch in adulthood that maybe started with gen x and has continued on but you know like pretty soon they're gonna want a senior citizen i mean we've had senior citizen batman what am i saying like but yeah there's there's something about um i don't want to let this go it's a security blanket to me and i think as a generation i think adulthood scares us more than in in the past like i would rather them remake 310 humor than than to take like these things and then insert wonder woman into them and say like here's a 310 humor but it's with the wonder <laughs> with the wonder woman amazons and this yeah. person represents you know like you're remaking david fincher but you're remaking it with um the batman so it's, it's a zodiac thing and it's like i don't know i mean i don't fully know what it means but i think there is no i think i think you're, i mean you're you're correct it's it's not just failure to launch culturally it's, it's failure to launch economically and politically right like there's a reason why we have we're stuck with the same politicians that we had since we were kids, and that's because our institutions have become so entrenched that it's difficult to have people cycle out of politics. Uh, there's also like the people's inability to buy a home, and you know they're, they're having children later. Um, they're staying in school for far longer, and it's because like the the way that our you know economy and social systems have developed. It's to keep us in these stages of adolescence for as long as possible, in the sense that, like, you know, being in graduate school, uh, and you, you know, if you if you decide to go up, go beyond your undergrad and get your PhD, I mean, you're looking at a solid ten years. So, in a sense, you're stuck in adolescence because you're getting an education so that you can go on and do something, but you're not quite sure what it is. Um, if you if you get your PhD and you want to teach well first of all like don't go off and become a fucking adjunct professor because that's a go nowhere track um you're going to be at the very like 
the the very best you can do for a little while is assistant professor, and then you can just sort of like work your way up. But by the time you actually become a tenured professor, you're fucking old. Um, even in your job, like there's no, uh, there's no like like journeyman jobs anymore. You get your degree, you intern somewhere, or you basically like grind it out for a number of years before you actually get somewhere. So that by the time you actually have any seniority um, and are able to like do things that people could have done two and three generations ago uh, in their first job, which is like settle down, um, have a home and a car, have a family and all that. Like, because there's such a long delay between the time that you accomplish something uh, educationally or age-wise and the time that you're actually rewarded for it in terms of being able to settle down, have a family, be financially secure and so on, that I think people hanging on to their toys is kind of natural because what do you have in the interim between your childhood slash adolescence and the adulthood that you're not actually going to hit until your 40s or 50s? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So on, yeah, hey, totally. on the one hand, on the one hand, like I understand where that impulse or I understand why you're saying that. But on the other hand, like, yeah, I, I, I can kind of get why like people are reluctant to move on to quote unquote adult stories because it's, you know, a lot of it is going to end up describing worlds and places and events that you can't even necessarily relate to because, you know, we're not even the same as we were a single generation ago. Like Gen Z, I don't even know how the hell they're going to they're going to cope like for as little as us elder millennials and uh, Gen X people have been able to accumulate in this period of time, like Gen Z has, is going to have even less than we do. So I, I I don't know. And frankly, like I can understand why there's a need to take already familiar stories and then um, like, uh, I guess like, if you want to call it like porting or like retrofitting them into like adult stories, because you know, moving from one moving from one stage to the next in life seems to always be happening on paper, but doesn't really happen much in real life. Yeah, totally. I agree. And uh, I want to give Jim a chance to speak because he's been patiently waiting for a while. And we're going to end it with uh, Jasper. Jasper will be the last one in the queue. Uh, hey, guys, can you hear me? Yeah, you sound great. Yeah, we can hear you. Uh, well, there is a lot to chew on here. Um, I saw the Batman. I liked it. I get why people don't. Um, I don't necessarily have superhero fatigue from watching the movies. I'm not watching Moon Knight. For some strange reason, I started watching Doctor Who again just to see where Chibnall went wrong. But, um... When it comes to the comics themselves, I do have event fatigue. I actually haven't read a Marvel event since um, Annihilation and War of Kings, because those were the last good ones. And to be honest, I don't really read uh, books from the big two anymore. I've kind of grown out of them. But I still read the old stuff from time to time. I don't really know if that says too much about my maturity or anything like that. 
I mean, I read the old stuff too. I read, but you know, I appreciate it, you know, for what it is. Like I, like I'm not saying people should not appreciate superhero comics or anything like that. I'm more just kind of find it strange how people just keep expecting them to get more and more rated R and get more and more kind of uh, woke and and graphic and disgusting. And and that's the part that I find kind of weird. You know, like, I mean, I think people of all ages have always been willing to revisit things from their um, childhood and appreciate them as being something like, you know, as what it was intended, what it was intended to, to be. So, I mean, that, for me, it's more like I find the attempts to make the things rated R and more probing, more ironically enough, more of a sign of immaturity than someone saying, "Hey, you know, I had a long day. I want to read the my favorite comic book book from when I was a teenager." You know, and you know, but I'm appreciating it as you know a nice teenage piece of enter entertainment. You know what I mean? Like, like, like. It's the latter thing that, to me, is a little weirder to me. Like, like, like when I was when I watched the um, the Joker movie, and everybody was like raving about it. And then some like leftist podcasters are even getting stranger and saying this is a great class allegory. It's a socialist movie. I'm like, this is the Hangover guy. He's just drawing together whatever pastiche he can from Scorsese. And if he strikes on a coherent political point, I'm sure it's pretty by accident. Like. I've read that guy's interviews on politics. That guy has no deep thoughts on, on anything. And then after I saw it, out of curiosity, I immediately watched King of Comedy when I came home. And I was like, holy crap, this is so much better. Like, And I just thought to myself, what is it saying about us that we had to make a dumber version of this movie and then we had to, like, collectively orgasm over it? Like, when everything that was in the movie was said more coherently, Forty years earlier, thirty something years earlier, and I'm not sure what the answer is. I don't know, but so it's kind of like Wandavision. Then, when everybody and their brother was talking about how it was a great example of mental health. Yeah, exactly. Wanda was falling apart. I mean, I liked the show. I read House of M. It was okay, but I wouldn't call it any. Uh, I don't like the way the internet talks about therapy. And trauma and like a meditation on trauma and all this stuff. Yeah, it's like it's you're doing too much to, to me. That's that's how I that's how I feel. The internet thinks therapy can do anything. It can't. And there are so therapy many bad therapists too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you? A lot see of them are on TikTok. That, uh, yeah, did you see that TikTok of that black woman therapist who was talking about yes. how she doesn't see men as human beings who deserve love and care? Wait, wait, what? Oh, 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 you didn't see this one, uh, Q. Yeah, there's a black woman therapist who was saying how she doesn't see, uh, she has, she's, she's a couples therapist and she has tr- trouble seeing the men in the relationships as uh valid human beings etc and how everything is the men's everything is the men's you know what let me see if i can find it and, and she did another tiktok later where she said i said what i said you know and, and she, she was basically just doing twitterisms as a 
therapy. And I was telling people, this is why I always say don't like, because the favorite thing people say uh, whenever someone says thing crazy is uh, get therapy. I'm like, you know something? A lot of people are getting therapy. They just have really bad therapists. Like, you know, there's, there's a, uh, there's Tumblr rice therapists out there, you know, and they're, they're as crazy as, as anyone, as anyone else. Um, in fact, while while we talk, I'll try to find the video. I could play I could play the audio of it uh directly into the room, but um yeah, she I think somebody might have deleted the video of her. I, I hope not, but yeah, she was saying a lot of crazy crazy stuff and they found oh oh oh, oh I found it. Let me see if I can make it play. It's this is pretty this is pretty interesting. It's so I tweeted nuts. this. Yeah, I tweeted this. I retweeted this and I added the caption. When y'all keep telling the weirdos on here to get therapy, and I keep warning you, these guys are already in therapy. This is who, usually who they're already in therapy with. And tell me if you can uh, hear this. Any of my couples this way. Hi. So here's this thing that I've noticed. Um, so I'm a, I'm a therapist, licensed psychologist. I work with women primarily, black women. And I work with a handful of couples, couple revelations. I haven't seen any of my couples this week. And I realized that my energy at the end of the week was different, notably different. And I connected connected it to the fact that it's because I'm not seeing the couples. And the couples that I'm currently working with are all heterosexual couples. And the emotional labor for me to see the men in the relationship as full, whole human beings who are deserving of love and empathy is sometimes overwhelming because of the way that I see them engage with their women partners and the way that I see the women partners overcompensate for their male partners, lack of empathy, lack of compassion, lack of emotional intelligence, lack of responsiveness, lack of accountability. It's exhausting. Women who are in loving, intimate relationships with cishet men are doing a lot of emotional labor in addition to a lot of additional domestic labor, especially if there's a marriage and households. The math thing mathing in these relationships. And sometimes the responsibility for me as a therapist to be objective and to hold the space of serving the couple is effort because I really, really want to talk to the men and help build the men's emotional intelligence and the men's capacity for emotional discomfort and the men's ability to regulate. Yeah. So she just goes on and on. She's a, she's a TikTok therapist. And um, yeah, first off, that's kind of a real violation of the people's kind of stuff, like a confidentiality. It's, It's very weird to me. Like, even if she's not saying your name, she's kind of using Alluding her time with to, you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah she's, seems... she's, are you spending time with her because she's, you know, trying to help you um, 
solve your your issues in your relationship or is it that you are giving her additional content to mine yeah and, and also the thing she's saying like emotional labor and tired and exhausting and the mad she's just talking like a twitter person but it's like yeah that sounds good on tumblr and twitter but as a therapist you're supposed to do emotional labor like it's like, like what are you talking about like you're supposed to be holding space or whatever you want to call it or be a container for your um client's emotion like, like you're basically complaining about doing your job like it's very bizarre like what do you think being a therapist is you know it's like that's this is very bizarre what she's saying like like when she signed up to do this and go to school, like what did she think she was going to have to do? Like what did she think a therapy session was? Someone just comes in and affirms her and then she affirms them back. And then, and then they give you money. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, basically what people do on, on Tumblr and Twitter, where they just have big uh, circle jerk affirmation sessions. And then they uh, call it a day. Like, yeah, it's just very, very bizarre to me, but she also seems to come in to this stuff. Very biased. But but that was a lady. I mean, good for you for missing the day when she was character of the day on Black Twitter, because I mean, you're doing something productive with your life. So, you know, I, I, I hate that I've informed you of one more piece of information that probably won't serve your life <laughs> in any positive way. But yeah, and there's a lot of her, like her, like her on um, on TikTok. There was one lady had to deactivate because uh, she had just finished seeing a client. She complained about the emotional labor of having to. Um, hear their problems and everything. You feel like, yo, what are you talking about? Like, and if I was your client now, I would feel bad to divulge to you because now I know that you think I'm a burden on you. Like, it's a... Yeah, yeah. Like, imagine imagine just, like, idly scrolling through your TikTok and you see your therapist on there saying that shit. Yeah, I feel like shit. Like, you know, and um, someone actually should report these people. Like, yeah. And she said, like, right after she left with somebody. So say somebody put together the time that she posted and maybe what she was wearing said wait a minute i think that client was me <laughs> i'm the exhausting you know and she said that she had to like enforce her boundaries against the client and say like, i don't have the bandwidth to hear your problems today and it's like okay you should not be a therapist like first to say that in the session but then after they leave to, to bitch about them extra like you know that person gonna need, need a therapy session with someone else just to deal with uh, their time with you alone yeah, but not not Jim. That was a great that was a great uh, example. I think that I think that's a crowd that they write comics for now. Like whenever I try a comic book now, out of curiosity, I feel like it's full of uh, stuff made for like that audience and that mindset. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I've been reading a lot of IDW and Image and even Archie these days. They had a recent story where Superman uh, goes into therapy. I didn't, I didn't read it, but I kind of wanted to look at it because they made a story about it in the mainstream news, and, and that's what they do oh, in these comics now. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh, Tom King wrote that. It's. I don't think I don't remember that being very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh no, no. Tom King wrote another one where all the superheroes and villains were in counseling for trauma. No, but this is someone else named Tom Taylor who did a story where Superman just came out like a month or two ago. I know the one you're talking about, but that shows how, many, how often this is happening now. Tom Taylor did another one where 
and he made a news story about it. And the news story is basically saying, Superman helps so many, it's time for therapy to help him. That was the headline. And I'm like, who wants to go read a Superman story to see him sit through therapy? Like, I want to see him throw a train. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to see, you know, like, he has all these powers. I'm going to sit there and watch him on a couch. Like, it's first, it's not the most dynamic visual on Earth. Like, I'm just thinking of you getting some high-paid comic artist, and then you're paying them to just draw Superman on the couch. Like, it just seems like a waste of time and money. But somebody out there must like this stuff. So, I mean, God bless him. I don't know. The only writer who could do something like that and make it good is Kurt Busaic, which is why I'm happy Astro City is back. Yeah, he's a, he's a, good, he's a good one, too. But even he will still, at, at some point, have somebody fighting. So, you know, even mixed in with that. So, uh, bless him. But thanks, Jim. And we're going to end it with Jaspreet. Oh, um, one quick note. I should have said this at the beginning. But apparently, when you listen to this on the internet, on the desktop, but you don't log into an account, apparently it doesn't count to our metrics. So like right now we have like 43 people listening anonymously on the desktop. And at this point it's pretty late in the game. I should have remembered to make this announcement at the beginning. I only just found this out oh, a couple right. of days. I totally forgot. Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, if people are willing to, uh, if you're listening anonymously, um, you don't have to do it this time. Although if you're willing to, we would definitely appreciate it. But yeah, in the future, Log in under an account if you're going to watch um, on the desktop because it actually helps our metrics and our ranking when you when you do so. So I'll make the announcement at the beginning next time. I just totally forgot this time. And by all means, Jasper, feel, feel free to unmute. Hey, um, I really like the question about whether like comics or these comics movies should be for kids um, or like that. And I was thinking like while you guys were talking, I was just thinking like, it's not necessarily that they're for kids, but like that there's like a playful sort of um, energy behind like the art, like whatever you're creating. So like, it's not that it, like, um, like I watched the Batman. I thought my, my favorite part of it was Colin Farrell's performance, like as the penguin, it was, it was just fun. He was being silly. He, he, he put on all the makeup Um and like just put on a character and that was for me like the most enjoyable part of the film but other than that I was just like this is a slog um like I didn't even enjoy like Zoe Kravitz I I didn't really like that whole thing I thought it was kind of I was like why is they had no chemistry so that didn't even draw me in um but like I totally agree they they didn't they didn't have any chemistry right I mean when she kisses him it just feels so unearned like it felt like, like where did this come from? He was doing like um like uh his character from Twilight, like Edward, kind of like brooding ish, and like that's, and it's not like he like that movie's kind of infamous now for like how bad the acting is. No, and, I like, just I I want to say just one thing, and that's that like Zoe Kravitz and Zendaya need to do a rock paper scissors as to which of them gets to allowed to act for the rest of their movies like they've just want somebody else's part only one of them can do it they can't both do it yeah i i feel like zoe kravitz wins that one i think and the other one has to learn how to act yeah like yeah because she's like hot enough to get away with it and and not that zendaya is not hot but like it's just like she's got i don't know that i don't know anyways um but yeah like i think because like 
so going back to comics for a bit, it's just like comics is like this really accessible form of like media that like, you know, anyone can enjoy. And it like, because it's, you know, visual and verbal at the same time, you can like it, you know, it, it's something that someone can easily jump into. So I kind of think that that's what it, that's like a key part of what it needs to be as a story. So it needs to be something that anybody can sort of enter in and enjoy it and have a, and have a good time. And if it, if there's something deeper to it, that's up to the artist to put it in. But, and I feel like entertainment and a bit of passing of the time, like you should be able to pick up one issue and not be able to finish it until it's like, just not put it down until it's done. And that's like the energy I feel like that's what it, whenever I've read comics, I, and also like I tend to read the older comics, like things that are like 20 to 40 years old, uh, not yeah, the new here. ones. I can't, it, I don't know what it does. Maybe like there's something with like the, the panel layouts and the, the art style that just like aggravates my, my attention or something. I, I just end up putting yeah. it down. Yeah, and I really don't like the narration on it. They do this thing, it's, it's like emo noir. It's like it's trying to sound kind of noir and serious, but also like, this emo, just like panel after panel, just talking about their feelings. And also, it's quip, like, the quippy, snappy bullshit. Like, it's really annoying. Oh, that um, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, 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 like, it's awful. I, if I was to run a comic book company, the first rule I would make is you can't design a costume if a kid can't draw it. Like, mm. they, they have costumes now. Like, no kid is going to be able to draw that costume, you know? And it's like, that's part of the fun that we used to get kids hooked onto comic books, superhero comics. Like, used to be able to draw those costumes. It wouldn't look anywhere near as good as what the professional did, but you could draw a Spider-Man costume as a kid. You could draw the old Iron Man. Now, like, the stuff is like, you need an like, engineering drafting degree to, like, <laughs> draw a new Iron Man armor as a kid. You can't, well, you can't they, do it. And they change it so much. It's like, every, like, and that's the thing, is, like, they do, like, again, it, like, it's something that happened in the, in the 90s, some sort of switch over where they were like, like, I think this is where you see the glut of the comic book industry where they were like churning out garbage for years. And I think like that, like, I don't know, I haven't done too much studying into the history of comic books, but I've done a little bit. And from what I understand, it's just like, you know, they all started out as these very like like exploitative operations with their artists where they could like, you know, take all the copyrights and take like, you know, they, you know, they had the artists just pumping out characters and characters and storylines. And then, you know, they would hold like Marvel has a vault essentially. I think DC does too, of like just shit that they're never going to put out, but they're holding on to. And, um, and then like the artists never, like they got, you know, a hundred dollars and that was it. Never, like never saw a penny after that. And like that energy sort of carried on even throughout like into the movie sphere of like, you know, we're just going to squeeze every cent out that we can out of these properties. And that energy is not a creative energy for anybody. It's just a cynical um, space of just like, yeah, it's just this. And, and right now it's like squeezing blood out of a stone. Like we're not you're not getting anything out of it. Um, and oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And like. Yeah, going back to this like Batman film, I did you guys find that there was something weird about the fact that they kept focusing on that little kid and I thought they were going to do a Robin storyline and they never it was just like weirdly he's looking at this kid all the time and then it doesn't go anywhere. Did you guys get a sense Yeah, of... I don't even know if they exchange one word between them and I'm like I'm just watching 
I'm watching Bruce Wayne staring at a kid, and it's making me a little <laughs> bit uncomfortable. I don't know. What? That's yeah. What else? What else? What other conclusion can you come up with with this? Like, I don't know, thirty-year-old guy who's just like longingly looking at a child, yeah. and you're like, like I get I the think... subtext there is that the subtext there is that you know he's lost his father. Like his father was, you know, um, Bruce Wayne's father was killed in front of him, or his parents were killed in front of him, and this child like, you know, happened upon the body. Like I get that unspoken subtext, but to not do anything with it and have these two just be staring at each other all the time, it, I don't know, it made me mildly uncomfortable. Yeah, it was very heavy-handed. Like, I, I don't know if the kid was meant to be his lost childhood or re, a reminder of it or something, but yeah, it was very heavy-handed. And yeah, it was a, I mean, there was a cut scene. I don't know if uh, you've seen it, Jasper. I think you've seen it, uh, Q, but they have uh, a scene, you can see it on the on the internet, it's on YouTube and stuff. Uh, it's a cut scene of Batman talking to the Joker. It's another example of taking something from another movie and recycling it. Uh, but it's it's total Silence of the Lambs, where um, Clarice is talking to Hannibal Lecter to help him solve the crime with the new person. Like that trope, they're doing it again. But so it's a cut scene from the movie where Batman is talking to the Joker to help him get the Riddler. And I'm kind of glad they cut it because it, it didn't need any more references to well-known movies, you know. It had too many as it was, but the one thing I didn't like about it is you see the Joker, and the Joker is so disfigured and gross. Like, he's so scarred. He has bald patches, and he just looks like he was dragged behind a truck or burned with acid. And it's like, why can't you just have a Joker that looks like a clown, you know, like like Jack Nicholson or Cesar Romero, and just trust that yeah. the actor has the acting chops to make him scary? It's like you're so afraid to just trust the actor you know you have to let people know hey this guy's twisted look look at him he's he's got a um carved smile on his face he's got scars that kind of started with uh heath ledger's and the, I, the irony is i think heath ledger's acting was good enough he didn't really need all those visual crutches of looking disheveled and and gross and greasy you know uh but yeah i think it's more challenging to have him look dapper and clean cut and still be be terrifying and that's something i think has also gone from these things is these people think their lack of subtlety or nuance is actually a strength like like i'm sure he thinks yeah the old joker was really corny you see how corny he looked like mine you know he's terrifying the minute you look at him he's gonna look like a totally um disheveled uh scarred uh demonic looking psychopath and i think you lose something with with that it isn't like Joker's Joker's appeal also that he's like is doing silly shit, but it is like also really fucking heinous what he's doing at the same time. Like, like yeah, the, totally. The gap that makes yeah, that makes people he, laugh and smile. Yeah, and, 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 and he's got like a joy buzzer, which is like a goofy thing, but it, it'll electric electrocute you into a charred corpse. Or he, he has like the water with the flower in it, you know, but it shoots acid, and that's kind of cool. Like he that's, has these that's kind of things that are comic, typically. Though. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's canon from the comics. But I'm saying, like, that's what makes it so cool in the comics is that he's doing goofy stuff but with a uh, psychotic twist. But I feel like you would not see uh, these new Jokers with a flower, even to shoot acid. They would think it's goofy to have him even reference that trope of what clowns do or, you know, the joy buzzer thing. They, they would say, oh, have him have a joy buzzer, even one that electrocutes people. And, and the Jack Nicholson one, what I liked about it is that they kept that stuff. He had the acid flower. He had the joy buzzer. And, you know, it, 
it worked, but there's like this fear of if we let ourselves be silly in any way, we're not going to be able to be um, terrifying too. And that's like a lack of faith in your ability. I think you should take it as a challenge. Like, let me see if I can have a traditional looking Joker, but make him as scary as um, the scariest villain you could you could think of. But no one really wants to take that challenge anymore. These new uh, auteurs, I feel, just go for like the obvious but think they're doing they, something they, yeah they try to like you know they uh, i don't know that, that they're setting their actors up for like i don't know like a, a best oscar run they're setting their makeup artist for an oscar but not the actors yeah maybe yeah i think i think it's very valid oh i mean i, I see think, Lan- I think that's what they're actually doing but what i mean is it's like they, they're like they're not inadvertently they're, um they're, they're yeah they're relying on prosthetics to, to do the work that actors are supposed to be doing Totally, totally, totally. Oh, and Lance, I'm sorry I didn't see you in the queue, but we had announced earlier that Jaspreet was going to be the last one. We've gone already over two hours, but please feel free to join us uh, next time. But yeah, we've already gone like yeah. A sorry about too that. Long. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of washed. Like it's it's after eleven. I should probably be getting to bed soon. Yeah, yeah. If I saw you in there earlier, Lance, I would have. Uh, told you to not even bother but but we do appreciate you being in here and please come in next time everybody who's up in here uh follow the people on stage follow the show so you can be notified when we um do a new show and also you know for future reference and i'll be in the future create an account and even if you listen online um you know sign in it helps us with our stats and yeah that's pretty much it any last uh, housekeeping uh, Q, you want to do? Uh, no, no, we're good to go. Okay, great. Appreciate y'all. Everybody, be good and take it easy.